Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? Uh, one one uh, pretty overdue piece of uh, news here is that we, we had this wonderful band called Worth Taking cover uh, a, a nude song, my, my punk band Nude, back from the uh, Aaron Bonner Jackson episode. Me and my uh, you know oldest friend from junior high, we had a band called Nude, and we had a song called Leech, and we asked for punk bands to cover uh, one of the songs, and, and, and one of them did. And Katie is going to play that here uh, at the end of the intro, just a snippet. And if you want to hear the whole thing, go to soundcloud.com slash worth taking. Thank you, worth taking. Me and Aaron both loved it. And Val, I mean, it's incredible. What a dream come true to hear that. Ready? Keep it down, buddy. Uh, So a couple things up top. We have a wonderful sponsor who we're always grateful for, which is Squarespace. Uh, You guys know this. You guys know this. And I know you know, but I like that you know, and I want to tell you again, if you need a website, I don't know what it is that you guys are up to out there, but chances are you need a website. And this podcast, this podcast that you like, is brought to you by the one and only Squarespace. Whether you need a simple landing page or a beautiful gallery, professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. So you can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code WEIRD for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support of the show. Have you made it weird? Also, if you go to PeteHolmes.com, we have all the T-shirts uh, that we've ever made uh, from the, inspired from this podcast at PeteHolmes.com. We also have a new one that uh, made me laugh when I said it to Val, which was uh, Damsels Do It Their Damn Selves. Huh? <laughs> So that's available at PeteHolmes.com. You can still buy that on a mug or a T-shirt or a sticker. Who cares? Just get it if you want it. No big deal. Let's not sweat it. And the other thing I've been mentioning is a a new thing called Pete's Picks. Just real brief up here. Up here? Up top. This is my new favorite thing. It's called Charlotte's Web. It is a hemp oil, which means it is CBD, not THC. Like when you smoke pot or eat pot or whatever you do with pot, you're taking THC, that's the psychoactive element, as well as CBD, which is kind of the, uh, I don't know how to put it, it's it's not in your head as much as it's your body, it's a good feeling of wellness, it's alert, it's very, very functional, Uh, but for me it helps with making my, uh, I have a thing on my hand that feels real nice when I take it. Kind of gives me an overall glow and comfortable feeling. I know I have to be vague in the language. That's because we can't be uh, promissory about the product. But I can tell you that it is my favorite thing. And I reached out to them because I was like, I want to tell people about this since Louis Anderson told me about it. I want to tell uh, the weirdos about it so they can try it. All you got to do to try it is go to CW, like Charlotte's Web, cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code you made it weird all one word for 10% off it makes me drink less alcohol if I'm on a long flight it makes me fidget less more comfortable in my seat headaches whatever it is this is this is my stuff this is my jam and if it if you guys like it one tenth as much as I do you're you're gonna shit your pants ships legally to all 50 states cwhemp.com slash weird Thank you, Charlotte's Web. Thank you, Squarespace. Let's get into the amazing, the amazing ritual 
What an inspiring fellow. He gave me his book. You got to check it out. It's called Finding Ultra. Just an incredible, inspiring guy. So let's get to it. I hope you enjoy. Yes. Yes. How dare you? <laughs> Shame <laughs> on me. Giving you a hard time for picking yeah. a chair. I love it. I love having other uh, podcasters on. Super fun to be here, man, and to uh, and to meet you, dude. It's very nice to yeah. meet you. I'm sorry I fell off the map with the uh, with the email. Life happens, man. We're busy people. We are busy people. I know. I I think I've told this story before, but uh, it's and it's a different category. But Jack Nicholson uh, forgot someone's face, and then he was like, "Sorry, I meet as many people as you've met in your life every uh-huh. day." Yeah. That's Jack. No, I'm not saying we're Jack Nicholson, but people get busy, and I love stories that let us off the hook. Well, I'm just happy that uh, that we made it happen, man. Yeah. Are we doing your podcast? Are we doing my podcast? Are we doing a cross? What are we doing? You can release this on yours <laughs> if you want. Yeah. I need the episodes. How are you doing? I, I'm doing our. Well, you know how it is. It's like you're you're always on the hustle, right? Like who's next? You well, feel that pressure? See, the reason I didn't. E- yes, I do. Because the reason I didn't email you back, even though I very much wanted to, it just got lost in the shuffle, as it were, uh, was because I was making this TV show. Uh huh. And that's when we weren't doing as many podcasts was in the editing process and stuff. So then you start doing week by week. Then you have one person like not show up. And then you really are. If we don't record Sunday, we don't have one Wednesday. And that's where we are right now. Hopefully doing something that I can release as my podcast, but you know, yeah, no, of course to you. Well, why don't we do, we'll do, we'll, we'll make this your podcast. And that as long as you promise to come on mine, I will. Awesome. I'm totally available to you. And we get two bites at the apple. Two bites of the apple. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Is that, yeah. That's a thing. I'm stoked for you on your show, man. I want to hear all about it. Well, that's what we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that on my show, right? I don't want to bore your audience. No, no, no. I'm happy to talk about that. What, where, where, where are you coming in from? You live here? I live in uh, like Malibu Canyon area out okay. in the boonies. Yeah. Like in the woods? Like in the, like, like in the Santa Monica park? Mountains. Really? Yeah, yeah, like halfway between Malibu and Calabasas, sort of. If you know where so that is, like, I, what, what college is out there? Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Yeah, we're about fifteen minutes from Pepperdine, but we live. I mean, we live out there. Like it's it's definitely hard, hard, hard away. out there. I one time went to a restaurant on Valentine's. Day. It was one of the worst Valentine's days ever. And uh, my girlfriend wanted to go to this restaurant that's in those hills, and mm-hmm. it's like they serve. This is before I was uh, eating plants. Hit it. Excellent, dude. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) It's been years, but this was years ago. And she wanted to go to one of these restaurants where they have like deer heads on the wall and stuff. It feels very much like a... Saddle Peak Ranch. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's right. I live right up the street from there. Yeah, so you know the hood. I can't believe it's like that a was two high fives. It's a different, it's a different universe there, right? Especially it is. you go into that restaurant and well, it's the GPS like, doesn't know where you are. Yeah, yeah, it's go confusing. On. The like, restaurant's it's like lost. You know, the, comp- <laughs> the compass doesn't work. It's like the bad parts of Lost, where you go into a, a, a cottage and there's just a rocking chair rocking, and you're like, "This is what we waited for." Yeah, right. <laughs> 
You go into that restaurant, though, and you feel like you're transported to Idaho or something like yeah. that. It's very much not a I Los Angeles experience. I should have loved it. See, I guess this is a natural way into talking about plants. Is like I used to think eating that way was the best. You know uh-huh. what I mean? <laughs> and then I always felt like absolute and then you woke garbage. Up. I know. I know. There is just a mild awakening to any sort of revelation i i'm saying you know what uh-huh. i mean like you could stop uh wearing um irresponsible brands and i i would be quick to call that a type of enlightenment yeah and certainly what people are eating but i i was like this is this is where it's at and i would eat it but then i would always just die afterwards feel, feel, feel so terrible yeah 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 which is why what i, I don't know what you tell people but the first thing, I, I never uh, – you don't seem like a very preachy person, but you've enjoyed eating your chards and whatnots. Yeah, I have. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the title of this podcast is You Made It Weird. So I'm driving over here and I'm thinking, how can I make it super weird? Yeah. <laughs> and be what's, like – What's the weirdest it's ever gotten? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people – it depends on what you feel weird you know, doing. Right. I've had people, we, we've had it out, not not arguing, but like talking about a time that I slighted someone or, oh, it's uh, happened on the podcast yeah. where I've offended somebody, right? upset them. Well, we can do a different, uh, like a new version of making it weird by yeah. talking about like plant-based nutrition, which probably doesn't come up that often on your podcast. It comes up, it actually used to come up so often. And oh, I wonder really? if you've had to give yourself this note where I was like, I'm going to stop talking about it every time it comes up. Because, uh-huh. you know, what is the joke? They're like, why are vegan? Oh, it's not even a joke. It's just a friend's theory. Like vegans are more angry uh, than other people it's because three times a day they have to remember what they're not allowed. This is not how I look at it, by right. the way. Well, the the, jo- the trope is uh, how do you know if somebody's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Like, they'll tell you all about it. <laughs> right. And, and right. also, they, that 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 joke applies also to like Ironman triathletes. Like, how do you know if someone's an Ironman? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> I do both of those things, so which one do I bring up How do you up work first? that into conversations? I, 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 Although that's kind of what you do, though. So people say, what do you do? That's a common question. And yeah, like, I mean, I never, I never know how to answer that question. What do I do? Like, I guess I would say I'm a writer. You know, I, I write books. Um, that's what I say but, when I don't want to talk. Yeah. That's what I tell cab Well, it depends drivers. on the audience. You know, like, who are you speaking to and, and what do you think those people are interested in? But, sure. But, you know, I do a bunch of different things. I, I guess, in general, I'm sort of a wellness advocate. I'm an athlete. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I'm Can a podcaster. Can you spot other uh, ultra marathoners like, at parties? Like Gaydar, you know? Like Gaydar, yeah, exactly. Well, I was actually thinking <laughs> Christian Dar when I was religious. Katie, this woman wants you. Um. Uh, I, I thought, hey, oh, it's Mia. I thought yeah. I could do that. Hey, Gil. Jeez, he's like nine feet oh. tall. What's up, man? I called that. I called Mia this woman. I know. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. These are the children of the owners, and I've known them for many years, but they've grown so much. God, that's crazy. I like this podcast hideout here. Isn't it fun? Is this, it's like a is this where all the nerdist podcasts take place? Yeah. This is where Chris does his thing and Chris all. Uh huh. Right. It used to be where they were. Uh huh. But uh, when I was super religious and I'd see someone praying over their food, that's how you knew. Right. Ah, that's I a tell. One. That's, that's a, a tell. That's a pretty obvious tell. For sure. That's a very <laughs> obvious tell. But then there were other things like you'd notice someone isn't swearing or something. And uh-huh. you'd be like, I think. So I have to imagine if you're at a party and someone doesn't have any, you tell me, I don't want to guess. On their well, plate, they're not eating the carbohydrates or the smoked meats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't pay that much attention to that kind of thing, I guess. I mean, I'm sort of known now. Everybody, like, when I go to a party, people know now. Like, right. Because uh, I'm the guy who's, you know, sort of, I've, I've put it out there. Yeah. Um, 
there's there's a spectrum you know there's the the whole like preachy <laughs> vegan thing that that stereotype exists for a reason because there yeah. are a lot of people that do that yeah i try to avoid doing that you know i just try to live this is how i'm living if you're interested i'm happy to talk to you about it i'm not out to like i find that you know, i have to say convert people that's right they bring it up they bring it up know. And, then, and then they get mad yes <laughs> they bring it up I don't bring it up. They get it. They get. They bring it up, they, and then they get I, defensive. Yes, I'm like, I didn't bring it up. They bring it up. I can't <laughs> yeah. stress that enough. They bring it up because my girlfriend's uh, family are not vegans, and and mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't. I, I actually don't really want at all to talk about it. So you're ve- you're fully vegan. I'm yes, a flea, no? I'm a, I've vegan. made up a you're term. You're flirting. You're plant curious. Ah, <laughs> I like all of those. I'm a vegan, and see, I watched Food Choices, uh-huh. which is what brought you back to the top of the mind because mm-hmm. you were great in that movie. Thank you. And I, ideologically, I don't really like claiming anything too hard. So even though 99% of the time I'm a vegan, mm-hmm. I like to call myself a vegan because... And you say something very interesting about your children, which I'd love to talk about. I don't know if that's like a pull quote from that movie. I don't know if you've even seen that movie, but I'll tell you what you said. Uh, what did I say? I don't remember what I said. Well, to finish my thing, to relate it to that thing, is that like the example I always give, Rob Bell, you know Rob. Right. So Violet one time came up and handed me a cookie that she had made. And she was six at the time. And I just ate, I took a bite of the cookie. And I knew that there was eggs and milk and all that stuff in this cookie. Mm-hmm. But that was when I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a flea. I don't want to bleed onto any creed. I don't right. want to cut my arm and bleed all over the paper and be like, this is who I am. So I was like, there have to be allowances for me to just be like, also, what to the be, fuck is going on? To be on? a human being. To be right. a human being. Is that a reaction to the kind of dogmatic upbringing that you experienced? I think so. Yeah. 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 Are you familiar with that at yeah, all? Yeah, I know a little bit about your story. And, and, and now uh, this is your episode of and, uh, no, episode I mean, first mind. of all, I listen to your podcast. <laughs> I haven't listened to every episode, but I've listened to a lot of them. Wow. I'm and honored. I love the conversation that you had with Rob Bell. Like, I listened to that before I had Rob over to be on my podcast. And yeah. I just thought that was fantastic. Oh, like, great. You have an incredible uh, facility and acuity for uh, having a, a really dynamic conversation. Oh, wow. So, Thank you. Yeah, but I, because uh, I think you're naturally curious and I, and I, I really enjoyed, because that was a kind of a, 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 a deep mining of like your background in Christianity and, and kind For of, how sure. you, you know, sort of, um, I don't know what's the right word. I was going to say matured out of it, but that's probably the wrong use of word. More, I more like just that. Your, your, your evolution <laughs> away from, you know, how you were raised. Yes, exactly. And so I, can, I, I would understand that you would be sort of reluctant to get too dogmatic about any particular point You're absolutely of view. right. And I think a lot of people do treat uh, their, their veganism, for lack of a better word, in a, in a kind of, you know, religious dogmatic way. Well, I – you, you must know because if you've listened to one episode of this podcast, mm-hmm. you've heard me bring up Ram Dass, who's my I love Ram Dass. favorite. Yeah. Yes, he's my absolute favorite. So I don't know if you've ever listened to Love Service Devotion. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. sixteen hours long, so it's, it, that's not to be like you could listen to it on a yeah. jog. <laughs> 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 Ultra marathon humor, Katie. God damn it, she's not laughing. going for laughs. She's checking Trump fucking headlines. <laughs> it's hard to laugh. <laughs> Anyway, I was proud of my ultra marathon joke. Um, it's 16 hours long, and I finally found he never really talks too much. He talks about vegetarianism, mm-hmm. and then he also talked about veganism for the first time. He kind of talked about all sorts of animal products, and this is in this. I believe he recorded this in the 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of before yoga studios everywhere, right. and everybody kind of into, into Eastern kind of ways. So, but he was talking about 
he started to buy believe his own hype. He started to believe that he was purer and more holy than everybody through whatever renouncing he was doing. So mm-hmm. occasionally he would renounce renouncing. And he tells this story of going out and eating Chinese food and he eats uh, spare ribs or something because he was – getting too high on himself or right, something. Right. He, it wasn't that he was craving. I, I get defensive. For no, Rondas. I get that. He wasn't craving it. But then the, the story, he goes, he eats the ribs. And then this big, big overweight guy comes up to him. And he's like, excuse me, I, you, you just seemed so light filled and interesting. He was drawn to him. He talked to him and he's like, so what do you eat? And he's like, he's sitting in front of a plate of bones. <laughs> and he's like, for the past years, he had only been eating sprouts. And then right. he had to be like, well, and that was the point is it broke his holiness. Yeah, it's a very interesting but counterintuitive way of practicing humility and suppression of the ego, right? Yes. Because if the ego takes over and starts to tell you, oh, I am better because I'm doing these things, that's a very dangerous place to live. So, right. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Isn't that fun? Yeah. So I got real excited in the car and I took a screen grab of it and all that stuff. But I think about <laughs> – very distracting hallway this morning. <laughs> uh, the not killing thing, though, and this isn't – you're in a very safe and friendly place in here, my guess. But sometimes I think about, like, microbes. At what point do we stop caring about life? You know what I mean? Well, I think that um, I had this guy, Gene Bauer, on my podcast a couple times. And he runs Farm Sanctuary where he rescues oh, farm it. animals yeah, from factory farms and things like that. And he's a super cool guy. And, and I think he put it best. He said, look, it's an, it's an aspirational way to live. Like, nobody can live that way perfectly. We're not, you know. Right. Her, you know, hermits. You're doing the best you can. And no matter what you're doing, because just by simply living in the world, you're you're creating repercussions and damage and all of that kind of thing. So it's about reducing the level of, of, of harm that you're perpetrating on right. the world. Because life – we say this on the podcast all the time. Life does feed on death, even if it is plant death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's we, why live in a, we live in a – yeah, we live in a, in a world of natural cycles and part of that is just what it's like to be an animal on the planet, I suppose. Right. But to the extent that, you know, the human population has taken over the ecosystem and we are the, you know, alpha predator on the planet, um, we're causing a lot of harm. Yeah, we're causing a lot of harm to the extent that you can, like, opt out of a lot of those things, I think is is kind of a cool way to live. I absolutely – you know those Saturdays where you wake up and you have, like, 15 things to do? It's like the post office and I got to return this and I got to go down to the fucking Grove Uh and I got to get an iPad for Julie because she's freaking out, (laughs) whatever. So, And you're just so overwhelmed by the 15 things you have to do before you know it, you do none of them. You do absolutely nothing. You just sit on the couch and maybe you don't know this. You seem like a high-functioning no, person. I, listen, Think back, Rich. Think I, I get overwhelmed <laughs> easily, please. I've okay. got four kids. I'm married. My nephew lives with, with me. I'm, try, I'm doing a million things. You know? So I'm, you know I, I, managing stress is you know, a challenge for and me. And sometimes panic or, or overwhelmed feeling of too many things to do, for me and for a lot of people, I think you just say fuck all and you do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what happens is if you go like, well, if we're going to care about chickens – Ah, God damn it, I got to care about all these other things, too. And it becomes very overwhelming. And I, yeah. I understand that. But that's, that's almost an excuse to not do anything. That's you know, right. It causes that kind of paralysis. And, and that's an argument that you hear all the time. Like, oh, you're not, 
eating these animal products or you're not wearing animal products, but what about this, 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 and this? And right. it's like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm just doing the best that I right. can. Right. You know what I mean? I do know exactly. What, we say that on this podcast all the time. I, I mean, I, you know, look, here's my can... iPhone. It ha- Who knows what's inside this thing and what had to happen in order for this thing to get produced? How much harm right. was caused as a result of, you know, the production cycle that manufactures something like right, this? Right, and right, right. I use this thing all day long, right? So... I'm right. not exempt. I fly in airplanes and, you know, all that kind of thing. Right, so right, right. It's not about that. But I think that you can care kind about of like two things. To, yeah. <laughs> you two is two your limit. Well, I have comedy and then I get two others. <laughs> right. I think to put it in context, I mean, my entry point, and we can get into my story, but my entry point was health. You know, I was very unhealthy. I was 50 pounds overweight. I was on the precipice of heart disease. And that's kind of what catalyzed, you know, my journey into healthy eating. But I've been doing it for 10 years now. And I've had an incredible journey with it, but my perspective and my, um, you know, involvement in, for what, you know, lack of a better word can be called a movement has really evolved and changed. Like, originally, I just, I didn't want to be fat and I didn't want to feel lousy. But now, you know, my eyes have been opened to other areas of the economy and how our society functions. And I've become much more attuned to things like the environmental concerns and the impact of animal agriculture I've on the environment. I've been trying to do that bit where I go, you there's know. a sign on Vermont that says, don't throw away your eggs. One egg c- takes 50 gallons of water to make. And I do it on stage. It doesn't work. Right. I go, why doesn't that billboard say, don't eat eggs? That's too much, that's too much <laughs> fucking water. Because now you're getting crazy, right? You can't, you can't ask people to do that, right? Did you see uh, – Isn't that crazy? Think yeah. about pour, like a, a milk gallon of, of water and 50 times for one right. stupid egg. Did you see Cowspiracy? I did, yes. Yeah, okay. So and it's 6,000 for a quarter yeah, pounder and cheese or something. Yeah, for your listeners, if you haven't watched that documentary, you can find it on Netflix. It's, it's quite eye-opening. And it ta- it's really an examination and a dissection of the impact of our food system on – the ecology of the planet. Right. And when it comes to water, it's really shocking. It takes a thousand gallons of water to produce one gallon of milk. It takes 660 gallons of water to produce a quarter pound patty of beef. Like these are crazy numbers. And we live yeah. in California where right. we're in this drought and we're told you shouldn't take long showers and right. don't water your lawn. But consumer use of water is a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of water that is that goes into raising animals for food. And it's not just the water that you feed the animal, it's the water that goes into the crops that we you know, raise to feed these animals. It's right. a very inefficient system that is wreaking all kinds of havoc across the board. I mean, it's decimating our rainforest at the rate of like, you know, a football field that's a second, part, yeah, that's things like that, that and upset, species yeah. extinction and these, you know, ocean dead zones and the amount of land that's required. It's just, it's unsustainable. Somebody it's crazy. Else, it's also like, it's worse than planes, trains, cars, right. everything, like yeah, methane. Yeah. There's, more, there's more greenhouse gas emissions as a result of animal agriculture than all of transportation combined. And we don't really, we're not having that conversation and we're not thinking <laughs> you're, about you're, that. You're like a vegan jukebox. Yeah, so. I just pushed A7 <laughs> and you're like, I got yeah. it. <laughs> I got the talking points. I kind of have it. But I think... Thank you for saying that, because I'm sure you've said it Yeah, and it it sounds like crazy propaganda, but all of those stats come from this UN report in 2008 that kind of brought all this stuff to light. And so I think to the extent that we can be more... We feel... Look, it's very easy to feel disenfranchised in our society, right? Like, what does it matter what I think or what I do? It's just the problems are too big and, you know, my vote doesn't count, but... 
you can really make an impact and make a difference with the dollars that you spend and how you choose to allocate those. And yeah. I think that's really a powerful thing. And and and, and it, that's why it, don't it eat feels, eggs. It feels, yeah, it's like <laughs> well, you see this. Say don't eat eggs. You see this rise in take in, it easy uh, on eggs. <laughs> take it easy. Just yeah. take it easy on eggs. <laughs> take it easy. Come on. <laughs> Just not today. <laughs> Go on. I'm so sorry. No, but, uh, you know, it's interesting to see this rise in sort of conscious, quote unquote, conscious capitalism. You know, these companies that give back for every purchase that's made. And Your I think Tom's shoes and what's Yeah, sense. all those companies. And I think that's the future of business. And, and young people, millennials and, and people even younger than that, really demand transparency. Well, they figured the, out, you know, the corporations have figured out that that's another appeal yeah, they can Of have. course. Like, it, it's driven by capitalism. For they, sure. they realize they can be more successful by doing that. But it's still something that's it's better than the alternative, right? Right. right. And I think that the transparency thing is a big thing because when you look at um, when you look at uh, you know animal agriculture, these slaughterhouses and all the laws that are set up to prevent people from really connecting the dots on what actually goes on there. Mm. You know, you're not allowed to film. You're not allowed to like really report on what's happening there. And and I think that's criminal, really. I think yeah. those laws are unconstitutional. And I think young people. That's confusing to young people because they're used to transparency. They're like, what do you mean you're not going to show us exactly where all this stuff comes from and how it's made? Right. See, that's what's – you know, it's fr- I, I'm sure you share this frustration, which is like – and this is something that's in that – maybe you even said it in Food Choices, the documentary I just watched, where they're kind of like – people think there's a, a give and a take, which is like we don't, we don't question and we get bacon. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. And then when you get to a certain place, which I know you're at, you, that you do say this. You go – you'll get to the point where you crave kale. Which is crazy. Yeah. But you really can recalibrate your your tongue and your taste buds and your mind for what you want. And we've just kind of – this is why it is a type of enlightenment. Every enlightenment is we were told something. It's not real and we're mad. <laughs> and right. then you change. Yeah. Like it puts a little bit of a fire under you. But the foods that you eat, I'm not talking about like bullshit fake, you know – burgers and stuff or fake hot dogs, which is fine. I'm glad we have those. I'm talking about like actual vibrant, exciting, living, colorful, healthy food that really makes you feel fucking fantastic because that brings us full circle back, which is where we both start, which is how it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. Don't get overwhelmed with sending the drones over the pig farms with the pink goo. I I know the world is painful. it's, It's a lot to let in. Start selfish. Start selfish. Just be like, would you like to feel better? Would you like your dick to work better? Would (laughs) you like your heart to beat better? Would you like to sleep better? Would you like to – your skin? Your fucking skin is amazing. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So (laughs) – That's really funny. It's crazy. Um, Yeah, it is. I mean I think that – most of us don't understand or don't believe that we actually have control over our health and how we feel. We just eat what's in front of us. We live our day. And, you know, I, I was a junk food junkie for most of my life. Like, you know, Jack in the Box, McDonald's, Pizza Hut. Like, I call it the window diet. Like, if you, can, <laughs> if you drive your car up to a fine dining establishment and roll the window down and they hand you food through the window, that's what you eat. And that's what I ate most of my life. And can when I turned 40, I just felt I was depressed. I felt lousy. And I tried a whole bunch of different diets to try to shift that, and nothing was really working. And I just thought, well, this is – I guess it's just you know how you're supposed to feel. And it wasn't until I took that leap and went fully plant-based, which Why? I didn't want to do. Who, I, who told you about that? Nobody did. Like I, I basically <laughs> – 
I wish I'd watched Food Choices. You know, like in some kind well, of Well, for like, me, food matters, food choices, yeah. hungry for change. Netflix, which you Netflix, and Cowspiracy, yeah, yeah, yeah. is Cowspiracy, fucking uh, giving the country an enema. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Forks Over Knives is another good one. None they're of those, all on there. None of those movies were out when, uh, when I was making my switch. I mean, there are certainly books and resources, but I just was playing an experiment on myself to try to figure out if I could feel better. And I tried a whole bunch of stuff, but it, it wasn't until I love that. I by had the way, to, that is also spiritual. It's not worshiping someone else's spiritual experience. No, it was a or yeah, athletic was a, experience or intellectual experience. You wanted you, it for yourself. Yeah, you have to you have to take responsibility uh, for yourself and your path, and and try to seize you know control. And I think we all have you know more control than we allow ourselves to believe, which is what I said earlier. But hmm. but yeah, I mean, I I done a whole bunch of different diets, and nothing was really clicking or working. And I thought, well, the one thing I haven't done is go fully plant-based, like get rid of all the processed food, just go nothing but plants. Hmm. And I was not excited about that because it <laughs> sounded like, you know, it didn't sound inviting. It sounded really restrictive. And, and you know, what, what's left to eat? Like all the good stuff's gone. But I did it anyway. And within a Were you a, within with a your week, wife at the time? Yeah, my wife is, you know, that's a whole other thing. Like, she's been my support system, and she was always much help. She, she was okay? She wasn't totally vegan at this time. This was 10 years ago, but she wasn't totally vegan at the time, but she was always a much healthier person than me, and she but was always trying to, like... you did have an empowering yes-and person. Yes, like, for sure. you want to eat some fucking kale? I'll get yeah. you some kale. Well, for years, she was trying to get me to... She's like, why don't you eat this? Why don't you read this book? Here's yeah. Ram Dass's 16 Hours of Thin... You know, like, uh, she was always <laughs> like trying to encourage me to like you know be more enlightened yeah but you know the more she would and she was never at a nag she was just like yeah. hey you know i know maybe you know i can see the better version of you locked inside that dense being over there yeah and maybe if you take my hand i can help you a little bit but I, the more she kind of did that the more i resisted did you notice where there things because i guess i did there were certain things that i would eat when i was eating everything that made me feel good mm-hmm. and i was like oh i should eat just this was well, there's there feeling like good. There's like sustainable feeling good, like feeling good long term. And then there's the feeling good of like trying to modulate your emotions through food, which is something I re- never really connected the dots huh. on until I started going plant based. And I started to realize like, oh, man, like when I feel this way, this is what I naturally grab because those cravings would come up and I'd feel this urge like, oh, I want this thing. And then I would think okay, what's going on with me right now? Like I'd check in with myself and I'd, I'd think, oh, I feel I'm, I'm like resentful right now or I'm tired or whatever it is, like that comfort food yeah. fix, you yeah. know, that makes you feel kind of good while you're eating it and lousy shortly thereafter. Yeah. You oh, know? I totally And I think we're, you know, that. food addiction is, is, is a real thing. You know, we, we throw that term addiction around pretty cavalierly, like, oh, you know, I'm addicted to comic books or Pokemon <laughs> Go or like whatever it is. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people, myself included, there's a lot of people out there that are food addicts uh, on some, you know, along the spectrum, right? We use food not to sort of empower us and make us feel good and, and healthy and vibrant, but to really just regulate our emotional state. Yeah. I noticed, I, and I still do this, like when I go home and visit, eating fast and eating a lot would end the meal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so we'd be sitting down as a family because I think we thought we were supposed to. And I love my family and everybody did the best they could. And they did a great job. This is real. I sometimes shit on my family. But as a group, we weren't great. 
We had me, the ham. We had my brother who seemed angry, my dad who was overworked, and my mom who was having an anxiety attack. It's basically a typical American family. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And I was like, if we shovel this in and eat it quickly, it's done. And also when you're digesting, I didn't know this, but when I was digesting, the blood that was in my brain that was helping me worry and all this stuff would be in my stomach and helping mm-hmm. me digest. So it would calm me down. And, and I'm talking about your macaronis and your, and your, your like heavy carb stuff. So it was like do it quickly. It was also because there were two other big eating men at the table. that So eat fast. It's going to go. It's a, a lot of panic. And, and I think – are you familiar with the Gabriel? I'm sure you are the Gabriel diet thing. Uh, is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the I one am, where yeah. it's like if you're afraid, you won't mm-hmm. lose weight. I think I got doughy because it was like we're not safe, eating safe, being soft is safe. We gotta stay soft, uh-huh. stay fed, and stay in your room, sort of thing. Like that's what the recesses of my mind were doing. So yeah. I think I hold on. I I was holding on to some of that. But what the thing that I'd love to ask you is where do you get the will? I'm fascinated. Whoa. Oh Sorry. God. Julie. Julie, my wife's calling. Sorry. Cameo. I always turn that off. I can't believe it. That's all right. Uh, the will to do these things. You almost thought you were going to have a heart attack. That'll, that'll put a, a skip in your step. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the feelings of life that I've identified is knowing what we should do and not doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm in that space a lot of the time. It's like I should stop doing this or stop doing this or stop doing this or start doing this. But what was it that – where do you summon it? I mean for me – Pain is really the only thing that's ever motivated me to change my errant ways, <laughs> of which I have many. Um, I wish it was different. I think we all we all possess the power to make those changes. It's just a choice, right? But it's just a lot more difficult unless you're in a lot of pain. I was in a, I was in enough pain where I was willing to try anything. Um, of course, I could have made that choice ten years earlier. Uh, it's just it's just more difficult, and I think it is really the psychology of change. You know, it's it's easy to. I feel like inspiration is cheap and easy. Like if you go on Instagram and people are posting, you know, quotes on this is beautiful how- landscape backgrounds, and it gives you a little dopamine rush and makes you feel good, but. Do you actually change your behavior? Yeah. It's like I think there's a big gap between inspiration and like action, especially sustained action. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know that I have the difference between selling a juicer and getting someone to juice. Yeah, that's that's a great. That's a great example. Like you watch Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, you'll buy a juicer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you will buy a juicer. (laughs) Although that movie was inspirational enough for me to Uh to do that. Joe is a friend of mine. I've had him on the podcast. Oh, really? Great. Yeah, he's a he's a hilarious dude. That's so funny. You should have him on. Oh, I think he's great. He changed my life. He did. Good. Netflix and you did that. I did a thirty day. You did. Wow. Fast, and I lost fifty pounds. It was crazy. Amazing. I also had an ocular migraine that I think was triggered from it. It's like this whole other side do you know david wolf uh-huh he would he did the podcast and i was like i told him i did this big kind of intense juice fast and i had an ocular migraine and my vision hasn't been the same ever and he was just like sounds like you kicked up some sediment and i was like <laughs> i don't like that there's a term for it i don't like that people aren't talking sediment. about it what yeah like, even, what does that i think mean? i got the water flowing like i got my prana going again but i kicked up some dormant issues or right, whatever right i don't know but it did fuck up my eye a little bit uh-huh. not a bad way. So, so when you lost you lost fifty pounds doing that, and then what did you do? In the were you able to keep it off? What did well, you do after that? That's what was shocking to me. And I'm in a juicy place now. I, I, I juicy ju- place. I'm in a juicy place. I'm either in a juicy place or not a juicy place. I'm in a juicy place. 
So I'm like juicing until dinner for the most part, mm-hmm. which I really like because uh, dinner – I feel like dinner, that's the meal that people like want to eat and meet up. It's a very social meal. Like who's meeting for breakfast? I mean right. sometimes me. But you know what I mean? Like you can get a juice. It's not a big deal. But uh, the thing that really struck me about that was that even when if I was drinking and drunk and came home – Hungry, I would still eat tomatoes because <laughs> uh-huh. that's what I wanted. It was uh-huh. that's when so you your cravings that changed completely. Mm-hmm. But you think it's a willpower thing. You're like, oh, I'm being good. I'm just having tomatoes and cucumbers. And you're like, no, this is what my brain. Your brain is so fucking smart and so fucking stupid at the same time. It's you know so what I mean? true. But what happens is there's some really interesting research that's coming out right now about the microbiome and. And and the impact what, what is that? That, so the microbiome is the sort of bacterial flora that exists in your intestinal tract. So we like to think of ourselves as sentient human beings, and and the truth is that we have like ten times more uh, like single cell microorganisms in our body than we do human cells. So we're like more. Oh my a God. host to this crazy <laughs> ecology of tiny bugs that live on our skin and inside ourselves, right? And we and and we we're more bugs of, than cells. That's true. Right? <laughs> and, and they're they're starting to realize that that the the nature of this ecology in your gut actually triggers your nervous system and sends impulses to your brain that lead to cravings. Which these is bugs. They've done all these studies on this. So. What's really cool – so, for example, if you They're go to – They're getting together go, and sending signals to exactly, the brain? Yeah. There's this bizarre intelligence to this whole thing. So if you're eating – Did I already scream? If you're eating McDonald's every day, you're populating your gut with the kind of uh, microorganisms that feed on that type of food. So then you start to crave that kind of food. Because there they are. Because that's what You it invited is. them and over. It, it needs – yeah, you invited them in, right? And now they're <laughs> like, all right, we're here. We're camping out. You have a bunch of like – what's it called when you – Football game in the parking lot? Forget it. Katie, what's Pre-game. that called? When you follow the Packers and you're in the tailgating. Tailgate party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a bunch of tailgating <laughs> yeah. Packers fans eating bratwurst and exactly. they live in your stomach. Yeah. But it's your fault. You threw the football game. Exactly. But when you start <laughs> eating all this healthy food, you start eating kale and you're juicing and you're doing all that kind of stuff. You're repopulating the Get ecology the with, healthy, with, a, with a healthier type of ecology there and then that starts to and so that's why you start to crave things that make you feel good which is amazing right that is mind-blowing so free the example i always use is um remember in, you saw supersize me right i did yeah yeah so so morgan spurlock starts eating mcdonald's every day and there's that scene where he like throws up out the window like yeah. he just can't believe he has to keep going yeah and it's making him sick and then he reaches this point i don't i can't remember exactly what day it was but it was a couple weeks in where he wakes up in the morning and he's got a massive headache and he feels terrible and he's like, all right, let's go to McDonald's. And then he eats his McDonald's breakfast and then shortly thereafter, he's like, I feel amazing. Yeah. You know, it's like, because his, I think that has a lot to do with how he populated his gut biome with this new population that like he needed that food in order to, that's like that's like true addict stuff right it's like yeah. a guy who's jonesing and doesn't can't feel normal until he gets his fix wow so and is this what happens because when you start you mentioned in your own story you didn't want to eat plants and then you did and there's a withdrawal period i mean there's a time when you still have 
the wrong party guests of in course. your belly. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Well, yeah, and you have to weather through that. You know what I mean? Like, so there was a couple weeks where I was like, oh, this is terrible. You know, but I'm also in recovery. I'm recovering alcoholic. And I, I know what a detox is like. Like, I've gone through a million detox. So I right. knew, like, yeah, I feel terrible right now. But I know, like, this will change. Like, I'm going to stick through at least this uncomfortable period and see what's on the other side of it. Yeah. And when you get to that other side, then you're 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 free. You have freedom. I know. You know what I mean? So that's why I get it's confused. It's the scene in Ray where he's in the bed sweating. It's exactly. Like, Just get through it, Just Jamie Foxx. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be and okay. It, and it sucks. You know, but I yeah. think people don't – they don't want to – embrace that part of it they just want the easy path just tell me how i can just eat what i want when really as you said yourself pain i know this is pain that you could stop that's what makes it tricky you could eat something Mm -hmm. and stop the pain but once you push through it when you're on the other side of it it's that pain that kind of burns the seal and locks you on the other side does that make sense like yeah you've earned it and now you're like i'm not going back to that shit like i fought the micro what is it the microbiome. My, micro, I found my microbiome. I got a whole – it's like a New Yorker cocktail party uh-huh. in there now. <laughs> and it's amazing. Yeah. And, the, and the cravings slowly dissipate and go away. So it's not that I never crave certain foods. Like, of course I do. I drive by a barbecue. I smell it. I'm like, oh, that smells good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not repulsed by those foods. I actually – like, they, that smells good. But it doesn't hold that kind of power over me that it right. used to where suddenly, you know, I'm just impulsively pulling into the drive-thru. And, and I think, well, cool. you know, sort of staying true to that, the more time and, and distance that I've put between myself and those unhealthy foods, like, I don't think about it anymore. So there's a lot of diet protocols out there where they give you, like, a cheat day. You can, like, one day right. a week, you can eat whatever you want. But, like, I just know for me, I, like, I know that works for a lot of people. But for <laughs> me, like, if you told me I could eat whatever I wanted one day a week, yeah. I would spend six days obsessing them on, on, like, oh, I'm going to get to go to In-N-Out, right. you know, in a couple days. Right. And I would just – and then that one day would turn into two days. Of and course. That, and, and then I'd just be back doing what I was doing. So – but it's, By just it's holding camped. that line, you yeah. know, now it just becomes easy and there's no decision fatigue over the whole thing. I only ever look up the benefits of a cheat day after I've cheated. Uh-huh. That's the only time I Google <laughs> benefits uh-huh. of cheat day. Oh, Pete had a problem yesterday. But I, it's also that interesting thing of can't. And this is in Food Matters, I think, which is like if you wake up and you're like, okay, I can't have these things, you'll freak out. It, it's like – Sometimes if you just wake up and, and you're busy and all you have is water, you might make it till dinner without ever thinking about it because you know you're in a place of, if I can sound like a hippie, like abundance. You can have whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And you know that. And your brain knows that so you don't panic. But if you wake up and you go, this is the day I'm not going to eat until dinner, which I don't recommend you do, by the way, but I'm just saying, you'll panic and you'll be starving by 11 a.m. and freaking out. It's, and that, to me, is what a cheat day does. It's like, I can't have those foods until that glorious day mm-hmm. that's coming up when I'll really live, as opposed to you can have it, but you don't want it. I think a, a a better way to think about all of this is to take the focus away from what you can't do and put the focus on what you can do. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, look at all these amazing foods that I never eat that I'm bringing onto my plate. So it's less about like, oh, I can't eat this and I can't eat that. Um, and it's more about like, let's have fun and let's have an adventure and let's try this experiment. Right. And, 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 
and to not hold yourself to some crazy uh, expectation of perfection. I think we all think like, well, so-and-so did it and they're perfect and I'm a terrible human being because I can't. It's a self-defeating, you know, sort of vicious cycle that takes place that ultimately ends up with people throwing the baby out with the bathwater instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I woke up at midnight and I went and just – you know, face planted in that Hagen Dawes. So obviously, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But a better approach would be to just say, "All right, so I did that. Whatever. Let's let's, Blame let's the try microbes. to figure out like why I did that, and like <laughs> what am I doing now? Like what's the what's the better choice that I can make in this moment? And the more you can kind of, you know, bring it back into the present moment without future tripping on like, well, what am I going to eat when I go to the wedding? You know, in six right, months from right, now, right, or over the Fourth of July, or whatever yeah. it might be, or we're coming up on Thanksgiving. It's interesting. I I completely agree. That is just a philosophy for any type of change, not just food change, but like people. It's self-love is what it is. Mm -hmm. I was writing about self-love and I was writing about how I'm a vegan and a fleegan or whatever. But uh, and I got drunk and ate all these quesadillas or whatever. And then it was and then my brain, I really could hear it. You know, when when you're vulnerable, it's four in the morning and you wake up and you're kind of remembering what you did the night before, like some sort of Mexican werewolf. <laughs> just, who ate all my chickens and quesadillas? But I ate all the all the quesadillas and, and then I could hear in my mind in the stillness of that hour, like, you're a fraud, you're a failure, you're an asshole, all these things. It was very audible mm-hmm. almost. I, I know it was in my head, but it was very clear. And I, the only thing that would make them go away was telling myself that I love, I love you, Peter. Mm-hmm. I just had to be like, I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. And I think that not being able to do that, stop, I would have w- woken up and had more cases. You know what I mean? If I couldn't have yeah. gotten over it, it's it's crazy how emotional food is and how tied up food is and how we feel about ourselves. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's weird, right? Well, that that's the question of will. It's like when you're killing it, when you're really things are coming up, Millhouse. You know what I mean? Then I feel like it's easier to get the the, the healthy option or the, or the mm-hmm. good for you option, or that's the day you might start a juice thing, or maybe it's the opposite, as you're at a low point. But it, it's hard to so much of my life, and I, I just went through this period when we were filming the show. I wasn't uh, juicing as much as I wanted to because it was so stressful. So I'm like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I've done it. And yet I can't always do it. Like right. sometimes I'm too freaked out and you just eat uh, a muffin or whatever. Right. And congratulations, you're a human being. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's about having a little <laughs> bit of grace with yourself. I that's think. what it is. That's what it is. It's not black or white. That's why I like Fleegan and that's why I just like that allowance of fault. And I also use it in case someone sees me drunk eating sushi. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, fuck so, you, yeah, man. You, you told me you were doing that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it's still, it's a personal thing and a private thing anyway. It's, it's what I'm eating. Yeah. I guess. Well, I think that that uh, it's important to understand that we're in the midst of this insane healthcare crisis right now. Like, the statistics are just, like, extraordinary and baffling like one out of every three people will die of a heart attack like something like 70 percent of americans are obese or overweight uh they're predicting that by 2030 about 50 percent of americans are going to be diabetic or pre-diabetic like 50 the 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 rise of like chronic lifestyle illness is insane and it's the food you Mm -hmm. know it's the food that's causing these things and and i don't think we're addressing that as if you significantly had this, this outbreak in cattle, you'd go, we got to change the feed. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you'd yeah. go, oh, shit. Yeah. But, you know, this feed's bad. Nobody wants to be told how they should live their life. And I'm certainly not here to tell anybody how they should live their life. But to put it into perspective, like 
people are, you know, I doubt that there's anybody listening right now who doesn't know somebody in their family or in their extended friends who, who uh, has died of a heart attack or has suffered some kind of cardiac condition. And the crazy thing is that um, 75% of all our healthcare costs are attributable to dealing with these chronic lifestyle illnesses. And like 80 to 90% of them are totally preventable, if not reversible. You can reverse a lot of these conditions by changing up your lifestyle and your diet. Right. So we do have control over these things. And so it's heartbreaking to me to see so many people suffering and loved ones dying when it can be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. right. And so it's weird when we're in a culture where nobody blinks an eye if you get a stent put in or they crack your, you know, sternum open to go in, you know, inside you and to do some kind of bypass surgery. That's almost, that's been normalized. Mm. Right. But if you tell somebody, you know what, I'm just going to eat plants because it's a great way to avoid being in that situation and people think you're being super extreme. So what's, what's, <laughs> what is really extreme here? It's like, I think it's extreme to have somebody crack your chest wide open and yeah. go in there. Yeah. Know, I'd like to avoid that. Oh my God. That's so funny. So, this happened for you though, when you were, am I getting the age right? 39? Yeah. Shortly before I, uh, I love before that. I turned 40, yeah, I just turned 50. So it's been 10 years. As I'm um, listening to your story, I'm 37 mm-hmm. and I already catch myself going, I'm 37. What I got is what I got. And you were 39 yeah. and you're like, fuck 39. that shit. I mean, I was never like morbidly obese, but I was, yeah, I was 50 pounds overweight and I was a corporate lawyer. I just looked like a dude who's working 80, 90 hour weeks in the law firm. Right. I was working in Century City and I, and I, I was sort of having a, I I was several years sober at this point. And so in, I went to rehab for like a hundred days when I was 31, which is a long time to be in rehab. Uh, And that was my first introduction to kind of spiritual principles about how to live your life. Can I interject? Actually, we just had someone talking about addiction and uh, there are studies, I think, it was Whitmer Thomas? Yes. His dad, uh, I think, was on heroin. I can't remember if it was heroin, Mm -hmm. but it was stuff like that. And he said it was, was it a year? I'm looking to Katie. Stop reading about Trump. I'm just Uh kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'm calling on you so much more than I normally do. Please relax. Thanks for being here. Um, anyway, I'm going to get the facts wrong, but 30 days in rehab, they're like, that does nothing. Uh-huh. And, and they're like, it should be three months. It should be the minimum. And that's what you did. You did yeah, I did. did yeah, yeah. I was in bad shape. I mean, they were like, the counselors were like, dude, you have the case, a case of alcoholism that we usually see in like 65 year old lifelong drinkers. Like I was a round the clock vodka tonic in the shower in the morning drinker. Like, really? I was, yeah, I was, it was, it was gnarly. Um, and you know, I reached that, that that point that you hear with a lot of sober alcoholics, that moment of clarity. And I, you know, took that lifeline and went to rehab and, and, and it was when I was there that I started to realize that the solution to what ailed me really lie in spiritual principles, which was a new thing to me. You know, like I, I didn't have much experience with anything like that. And so in the wake of getting sober and kind of going back into the world, I had, I was somebody who had a lot of potential as a young person. You know, I got into every college I applied to. I got into Harvard and Princeton. I went to Stanford. I was on the swim team at Stanford. I had the world, you know, by the tail. Like, I could have done anything. I had a lot of opportunity. And drugs and alcohol, like, destroyed that. Like, I just Mm. decimated my life. And so, when I got sober, I was very intent on getting back on track, right? And for me, that translated into 
sort of uh, channeling all of my addictive tendencies into workaholism. Like I need to get, you know, back where I thought that I should be. And to some extent it worked, you know, over an eight year period, I was able to become a productive member of society. And I was on the partnership track at this law firm and I was doing all the right things and driving a fancy car and blah, blah, blah. But slowly, as I started to invest myself more in sobriety and these, in, in sort of, you know, a spiritual foundation for how to live, I started to have this existential crisis because I was realizing I was chasing something that I didn't even really want. Mm. You know, I was sort of, my whole life was premised on this idea of the American dream, right? You know, get the good job and, you know, show up early, work late, all of that stuff. And I was starting to realize that the sort of implicit or implied promise that, that's baked into that, which is, you know, security, prosperity, but also happiness wasn't really manifesting for me. So I'm kind of like struggling with that because I was like, I, this is not what I want to be doing. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm stuffing myself with fast food and just, you know, you name it. Like that's how I was managing this dis, this sort of dis-ease that I was feeling. And so it all kind of came to a head shortly before I turned 40. Like my existential crisis like collided with my poor health when I was basically defeated by a flight of stairs at home. Like I had to pause halfway, halfway up a simple flight of stairs and I was winded and out of breath and tightness in my chest and like sweat on my brow and really thought that I was on the precipice of having a heart attack. Heart disease runs in my family. My grandfather, who was also a swimmer, died very young. And so my whole life, my mom would say like, you got to watch out, be careful what you eat and all of that. But, you know, when you're young, you just feel invincible and it's like, blah, 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 who cares? But it all became very crystal clear to me that evening. And it was a moment that was very um, reminiscent of the day that I decided to get sober. Like, you know, I think we all have these these moments in our life where we're presented with an opportunity or a choice. And it's a choice that if you make it can change your life. And by deciding to go to rehab, my life had been changed in every conceivable way, in a positive way, right? But had I decided to blow it off that day, I don't know if I ever would have made it. You know, I could be living a completely different life or in jail or dead or in some mental institution, you know, you name it. And so on that staircase, I realized like, oh, this is this is happening again. Like I'm ha this is another one of those moments mm. and because I I had had that prior. I was able to I think I had the awareness to recognize it. And I was like, I got to I got to act now. Like I got to do something um, specific and immediate and perhaps drastic in order to like shift, because if I don't and I just say I'll deal with it tomorrow, I'll probably be back to just doing whatever I'm doing. And, and you know, that, that collision with whatever was going to happen would not be avoided. Hmm. So that's how it all kind of kicked off for me. Do you think the drugs and alcohol, while you were super outwardly seeming successful, was it, this is weird to take a guess, but was it part partly because you knew you weren't happy with what everyone thought you would be happy if you got? I think that's probably part of it. I don't spend a lot of time like trying to figure out like why I was an alcoholic, like because yeah. it doesn't really it, it it's not helpful to me. But I think if I had to answer it, I, I you know I you know I was a I was a loner kid. I always felt different. Uh, I had trouble connecting with other people. Um, you know, it just seemed I seemed I felt like a kid who who didn't have the rule book for life that everybody else had, and so I think I compensated <laughs> for that by working really hard in school and becoming this swimmer. And it was a way of me like distinguishing myself um, and trying to fit in. But it was always a square peg being jammed into a round hole because I never paid enough attention to, you know, what made my heart beat in order to make that, 
you know, that square peg turn into a round peg that would fit into a round hole. Hmm. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that probably can relate to that, whether you're an alcoholic or not, because there's a lot of pressure in our culture. Like here's, you know, if, here, if you have opportunity, here's what you need to do in order to be, to kind of fit into the flow of, of society. And so I just became increasingly alienated because I wasn't like totally on, I was, I was like putting on the costume and trying to do that. And eventually that catches up to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how it manifested in, in, in my life. And so it's as much, it, for me, it's been as much a, uh, a journey in trying to repair my health as it has been um, a more spiritual journey of trying to be more authentic to who I am and, and figuring out like what my place in this world is and what I have to contribute and, and what I want to do you know, in this short time here on planet well, Earth. What, what is success now? I mean, you seem like a very successful person. I don't mean because of numbers of book sales or, or money or anything. I just mean you feel like you found your flow. What, what do you, how do you define success? Success today? now for me is all about um, positively impacting other people. Like it's, it, it, it's all rooted in service, mm. you know, like the more it's like, it's so cheesy. We all know like, oh, if you want to be happy, like, you know, be of service, you know, give of yourself to others and all of these, you know, kind of platitudes, right. That we all kind of intellectually understand, but we don't actually practice mm-hmm. because we're inundated with contrary messaging you know every billboard every television commercial um you know everything that we see we're on sunset boulevard right here like how many billboards are are promising you a better life if you buy this product or that product Mm -hmm. and and we know that those things aren't going to make us happy but we also kind of think we're different and if i can just get the tesla (laughs) or if i just can get that extra big TV screen or whatever it is, like then I can relax and then I can be happy. And I I chased that for a long time. Um, But I've come to realize and really, uh, and really believe that when I get, when I give of myself as selflessly as, as I can, I'm a selfish dude. You know what I mean? Like it's not natural for me to be of service, but when I can get into that headspace and, and contribute, um, not only do I feel better, but also, like there's this weird spiritual equation that takes place where things go more smoothly in my life. Like things work out, opportunities present themselves. It's like when you're in that place of faith and trust, um, I don't know, my life just flows better. And that's been my experience. And service. Yeah, faith, service. Faith, trust, and service. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I love watching uh, cult documentaries. <laughs> Did I sound culty? No, not at all. But you reminded me. I just watched this one called uh, "Deprogrammer" or "Deprogramming." Uh-huh. It's about a guy who, in the seventies, yelled at people who had been uh, taken into cults, and he basically yelled and threatened and kidnapped them and screamed and persuaded them, deprogramming them away from these ideas. And it's a great documentary in that you're on this guy's side, then you hate him, then mm-hmm. you're on his side, then you're kind of in the middle. It's, it's very interesting. But one of the things that most cults have in common, I hate the word cult. I, I wish we could <laughs> say that maybe cults got some things right, was that they were obsessed with service. They did things for other people. They helped quadriplegics go through their days. They, this is where you get things like the Sea Corps, the Scientology people that were no money and they're scrubbing the mm-hmm. floor with a toothbrush sort of thing. And you're like, I don't understand that. That sounds like torture. But there is this weird part of me that I'm like, I think, and I'm not advocating this, but there is something in a human being where if you connect to surrender, you can get a real high off of it. Again, I'm not saying we should go and join supergroups, 
But clearly there's strong evidence to show that people will do ridiculous things when they tap into how blissful service and specifically service in the name of something bigger than you can make you. Yeah, I think it's about um, being part of something that transcends yourself and your ego. Um, but I also think we're hardwired as human beings to all to be we want to be members of a team or a tribe. You know, we're tribal beings. And so whether that's the Seattle Seahawks or the the, the New York Rangers or Scientology, yeah. like people are looking for belonging. Clearly right? it's and cozy. You, you can find you can find comfort in that in, in healthy and productive ways, but also in, in unhealthy ways. For sure. But, I, you know, just to, to agree without using extreme examples, those things that you go, you know, moments where you're like, oh, maybe I'm going to die or, or you're going to bed at night and you're just kind of thinking about your life. The things that I've done, like this podcast, that, that, that have helped people in, in some way or another, that's what matters. That, that's what creates actual sustainable energy, like real mm-hmm happiness and joy. And you're absolutely right. It wasn't from me going out and buying some new car or something. It's from somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, that meant a lot to me, which I'm sure you get all the time. Right. And it's like crack. You know what I mean? Like it's so (laughs) like, yeah, people come up to you in the airport or I'm sure you have this experience all the time. And they're like, I listen. And and then they'll- Yeah, but with you, they can show you their abs. Well, (laughs) it's it's more than that. It's it's less about that. And it's more about- um, helping people, uh, giving people permission to be who they are, right? Mm. To be authentic to who they are. And, and when I encounter people and they come up to me and they say, I listen to the podcast and, and then they'll start to tell me the most intimate story about their life, like stuff they wouldn't tell anybody, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like there's a level of trust and it's very moving, you know? Mm. And so to hear that and to understand like that at least there's one person out there for whom you know what I'm doing is a lifeline, is that's something I don't take lightly, you yeah. know, and that really sustains me. And but so I'm sure you've had that experience doing the pocket. It's like a it's a crazy powerful medium in that right. regard. Right. Yes. Well, the, specifically, I get oh, you have a TV show uh, now. You can stop doing the podcast. I'm uh-huh. like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> What are you talking about? Uh, like, I love having a TV show, and I hope the TV show can do the same types of things. When is the TV show coming? February 19th. Is it? Wow. February that's so 19th. <laughs> How many episodes did you do? We did eight. You did eight? Wow. You said something very interesting about giving people permission to be who they really are, right? And th- that makes so much sense to me, and I anticipate your answer a little bit here, but it's like in getting very fit, in becoming a, com- a comedian, these are both strange declarations of self-love. Allow me to draw the parallel. Mm-hmm. Comedian says, my thoughts are so great that people should listen to them. I should be under lights and amplified. People should sit. They can't talk. They can laugh and clap. And I will go up and I will do this thing. That takes a certain declaration of confidence. And, and like I said, self-love. You go, I think I can be a comedian. Is there a similar green light that's required to go, I love myself enough to get in physical shape, mental shape, emotional shape? Yeah, I think if you don't feel good about yourself, then you're, you're less likely to even embark on that kind of self-exploration. You know, the stuff that I do as an athlete is, is really just my version of your comedy, you know? <laughs> and, and for me, it began with, you know, once I changed my, my diet, I suddenly had all this energy and I just had a desire and impulse to go outside and start moving my body again. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a competitive athlete in my 40s. Like, that was the <laughs> furthest thing from my thought. I just, I made a decision that I was going to, 
you know, indulge myself by doing things that made me happy. And for me, I was starting to realize like all this other stuff and the cars and the job and the career and the whatever didn't give me the satisfaction that just the sun on my shoulders while I was running on a trail at dawn gave me. Like mm. the very simple primal like sense of self that I got from just – you know, investing in what I wanted to do, what made me feel good. And so I gave myself permission to do that hmm. without any plan or logic. I was like, I, I'm going to carve out the time to do this, right? But don't, so, don't you find uh, as the fittest man, you, you've won titles and stuff. I'm not here to embarrass you. <laughs> Just saying people say, hey, that's a very fit man. <laughs> the, you run into, what do you think you're better than me? You have to. I don't get like a lot of hate like that. I don't um, even mean like over the internet. I mean you go home for Thanksgiving and, and there's your schlubby Uncle Ron and yeah. you're just like, hey, fuck you, Rich. Like yeah. he doesn't say it, but he's think you feel like he might be getting some of that. I guess. I mean, I'm, ta- I'm telling you, you that I get it because uh-huh. it's like, oh, you think you think you can just go around and tell jokes? Well, what what I do get is, <laughs> oh, well, you know, yeah, it's easy for you to do it because you know you have this, this, and this, but you don't understand my life and how right. busy I am and right. the pressures that I'm under. And and to that, I say, I'm empathetic. I'm sympathetic to that. Like, I I get it. You know, I I totally get that. I'm not here to like make a proclamation about what you should do with your life. I'm just trying to express myself in the best way that I can. Mm. Um, but I can tell you that I sacrificed a lot to be able to do what I'm, what I do today. And it wasn't easy, you know, it was very much a warrior's path and, and it was difficult. And we went through tremendous financial times. Uh, we almost lost our house and all kinds of craziness over a, a number of years, even after my first book came out. Mm. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, the fitness or the health aspect of it in particular, you know, people that say I don't have time, it's 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 not that they don't have time. It's just a question of priorities. It, mm. it really is. Like when I decided I was going to train for this crazy Ultraman race, I was practicing law, raising four kids. I had a lot on my plate. And I realized that if I was going to commit to this, I was going to have to reconfigure how I was spending my time. And so I did this experiment with whereby for a week I wrote down everything that I did in 15-minute increments over like a seven-day period to try to identify hmm. where I was wasting time. And it was I thought that I ha- there was no way I was going to be able to free up time. And I realized like, oh, my God, I'm wasting so much time, whether it's you know Facebook or deciding – uh, you know, I'm going to drive from Malibu Canyon to Beverly Hills for a lunch or, you know, anything like that where, where I could, I, I, I was like, I could free up like three hours out of my day every day and still get everything Just done. Just saying like, no to lunches you don't yeah. want to go to. Well, I mean, here in Hollywood, it's like this culture of like, we we're having, we, you have to have a lunch every day. Yeah. Like how many of those lunches translate into anything? Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's so perfunctory, so much of it. And I was like, I'm not, I was like, those never I was, as an entertainment lawyer, I was like, these aren't really generating any new business for me. I'm going to get rid of these clients that never pay me. I'm going to focus on the clients that do pay me. All of these meetings, uh, I'm going to push them to phone calls, and I'm going to take all these phone calls and push them to email. I'm going to get off Facebook. Mm. You know, I'm not going to watch television for two hours every night. I'm going to wake up 45 minutes earlier. And suddenly, it was like I had a whole new perspective on on how I could allocate my time. And it was, hmm. it, you know. And I'm a busy guy, so it was really just prioritization Pushing as much as anything. Phone, so you have to let go of other things in your yeah. life that are not serving you, that yeah. aren't moving your life forward. I just went to Rob's How to Be Here, his last How to Be Here event, and uh, he made this great point. 
he was like – it was like a stand-up bet. I'm so proud of him. Like we've been friends he's, for all these years now and I'm like – That guy is amazing. He's becoming more and more the comedian that he, he was made uh-huh. to be. He's so good. And he has this bit, I'll say, where he's like, nobody here makes their own butter. He's like, where'd that hour and a half go? Like uh-huh. you just have butter. Like he's just like all these technologies that save us time. Where did that time go? You know what I mean? Like you don't have to get maps. I'm making this example up and, and plot your route. You right. can just use a GPS. No more where Thomas did, guide. Yeah. Where did the 20 minutes you would have spent looking for the route go? They're just gone. It's just gone. We didn't claim it right. as and what, ours. And what are you filling that void with? Exactly. Well, you like Twitter. Exactly. We like, I, pl- I plead guilty to that. We have our, our little things that, that buy mm-hmm. a lot of time. I'm struck with how much – I watch a lot of documentaries and stuff, so I'm like, oh, this is fulfilling to me. But I'm like, I, I'm still, every day, hours and hours of content, like insane amounts of content. So what does your writing schedule look like? Like, how do you make sure that you protect that time to advance, like, the bigger goals that you have? Yeah. Well, you see, in the morning, you talk about the ego. There's a while before it shows up. <laughs> you know, that, mm-hmm. that voice is not clear until around 11 a.m. So for me, it's about getting up. This is this is you want to talk about the will and and knowing what's good for you. It's like I know when I get up, when I wake up. So I wake up and I don't go fuck it. I'm a comedian. I'm going back to sleep or whatever. Or I don't I don't have anything today. I'm going to go back to sleep. You get up when you first woke up because your body was waking you up. It's, it's the morning time. Mm-hmm. It's going hey wake up. As a comedian, is that like noon? No no no. This is like seven. Uh huh. I go to bed early if I don't have a show. Even if I have a show, I go to bed. 11. Uh-huh. I, I don't fuck around. So I'll wake up at like 7. That's 8 hours of sleep. That's way more than most people. Right. But it's still fucking 7. So you're totally in the clear if you want to be like, I'm going to go to bed, back to bed for an hour and a half because 8.30, that's still early. You're not even thinking that now you're in the 10-hour 10, 10 sleep. Anyway, so you get up at 7 and that sweet spot, there's like a good hour because Val will stay up after me. There's a sweet hour and two hours. What I need is two hours in the morning where I'm just alone in the morning and nothing's mm-hmm. happening. Right. I love No, that. like, no check an email and all that kind of nonsense that, or do you, do you I have do an that, interesting so system where somebody, I read an article that was like, don't look at your email first thing in the morning because it'll put you in a responding mood as, a, as opposed to a creating mood. I, I look at it. I don't care. I don't have any rules. You know, you know what actually helped me do this more? Because I know, it's like eating. I go, I know I'll be happy all day. You know that secret, the writer's secret where you're like, no matter what I do, I know I wrote this morning and I got something right. done. You kind of walk around with a little secret Mona Lisa smile all day. I know that that, that intellectually I understand that, but that won't, isn't enough to get me out of bed at seven with my girlfriend and there's the dog and it's so idyllic and soft and warm. I, I need to just say, just show up, just get to the chair. I have a really comfortable chair that I write in. And I, go, I don't go, just go write. I go, just show up. Just sit in the chair. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. The house is a little chilly. I get a blanket. I sit there and I have coffee and I look out the window. And that's, that you've already won. I, I give myself points for that. And then any writing that happens is a bonus. Right. So you're, just, it's show, you're showing up for it. Just show day. up. Yeah. That's that I can do. Get up and write. And get up and think about what you're going to write. Am I going to, am I going to revise or am I going to write something new? Am I going to organize? Well, that stuff is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But just the thought of getting out of the bed and getting to a chair, that I can do. The chair is so similar to a bed. Yeah, because you're, <laughs> you're shutting down all the signals that your brain is sending you to not do the thing that you know you're supposed to do. So like in the context of, of you know, exercise or fitness, it's like – 
just sit up in your bed. Like it's a cold morning. Like I'm, I was planning on going running, but now I don't want to. So right. just sit up in your bed. And like, okay, now stand up. You know, like, <laughs> now put, put your shoes on. You know, like just like funny? don't worry about like how cold it's outside or whatever. Just like you know, do these simple things. And the, the mantra stuff. that I always use is mood follows action. You know, it's like we all want to like wait around until we feel like doing something yeah but that's not our friend you know yeah. that's not a that's not a reliable that's strategy what my therapist says he so says, just start doing it yeah. and then you never like after you're writing like sometimes i'm sure it all flows out and sometimes you probably want to pull your hair out but at least you did it yeah but you never get on the other side of that and say i wish i hadn't done that that's right, right. of course you're always happy that you showed up for it well that's some tony robbins stuff right there where you're going like what are the repercussions of not doing this mm-hmm. he's like really write it out be like I want to get up every morning and write. Okay, what are the pros of doing that? Well, I could finish this book. I could finish this script. I could change my own and other people's lives potentially. Okay, what are the uh, pros and cons of sleeping in? <laughs> it's yeah. so basic, but when you can break it down to little micro steps, that uh-huh. really helps. I, I have uh, an elliptical that I use pretty much when I just need to burn off. You know, you feel stress mm-hmm. or whatever, and it's better than whatever. So I use it not. Not every day, but I like having it. And I noticed that even putting on shoes is one step too many. I noticed that in order to do an elliptical, stretching and getting on the elliptical has to be the only thing Uh that you do. Because even getting socks and putting on shoes, I'd be like, fuck it. I don't want to do it. Too much. I got uh, wireless earbuds. Syncing the wireless earbuds to the phone was too much. I went back to the plug because I was like, my brain will find any reason. Oh, this is syncing too. I'm out of here. And I'll bail. That's how badly I don't want to do it. So I get on barefoot and I just do it. Like that's the only way to do it. Right. And that's your strategy for success. I love that. I mean, I think think for me it's it's helpful – one of the ways I like to think about it that's been helpful to me is to understand that – you are not your thinking brain. Mm. And your thinking brain is really good at like doing math and sort of making lists and things like that, but not so good when it comes to sort of advancing your life goals. It's always trying to, you know, not always, but often it's your worst enemy trying to talk you out of it. Or, you know, it's like to be able to bifurcate and understand like that you have a higher consciousness that sits outside of your thinking mind and to be able to be the observer of the thinking mind and to, and to, and to look at that and say, oh, that's interesting that my brain is telling me all that's these right. things, but I have a choice. I don't have to pay attention to that. That's like right. I can tell him to shut up, Right. which is weird that you can be an observer of your thoughts. It's a trip. But I, I believe that, right? Yeah, and you're so the dean. If you can, like, if you think you're your thinking brain, then you're always going to follow it, yeah. right? But to 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 remove yourself from that calculus. Well, to and, not want to do something and doing it anyway is a revelation. It really is something. Something is happening that I think is is lovely and bigger than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and it's a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it becomes to do it. And and there's something weird, weirdly. Uh, um, mystical about about um, about uh, what happens when you've created a little momentum, right? Like once you have momentum, why is it easier to keep going? Yeah. And if then you miss it because you go out of town and you're thrown off your rhythm and your schedule, why is it so hard to get back into it? Yeah. It doesn't make any real logical sense. It's a it's a bizarre like psychological Rubik's cube, but yes. it's true, right? Yeah. So to the extent that you can hold true to whatever like your thing is, like 
you're a week or two into it, and then it becomes this self-perpetuating machine. Mm. What is the biggest mistake you see people make that are trying – somebody who was like you when you were 39, you just started running, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm. Did you get up and you were just like, I'm going to – I've never run in my life. I'm going to run. That's how Rob told me this story. Yeah, it's sort of like that. I mean, <laughs> the, that's the lure. <laughs> the biggest mistake in what respect? I just mean like, let's say there are people listening, which I'm sure there are. That are like, hey, this guy makes a fuck ton of sense. I really like this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, and then you see them go really hard, or, or they they start with the wrong thing, like. Like an elliptical, is that the wrong thing? Or, right. or going full plant, is that a, a bad thing to do tomorrow or today? I think that, that uh, the biggest mistake that people make is trying to do it perfectly and creating unrealis- unrealistic expectations for themselves early on. Um, and they think that the answer lies in, you know, what's the right shoe or which GPS watch do I need to get? Like My all God, these things that are like excuses. So right. It's like, well, I can't start running until I get that watch, you know, or that yeah. heart rate monitor. So I'm going to just do a month, a month, a month long research project yes. on that. And they're just barriers to just beginning. So we tend to overcomplicate these things. I've been the, that person. The best exercise is the one you're actually going to do. If you hate running, that's fine. Go do find something else that you enjoy. Like if you can plug into something that actually fulfills you and makes you feel good and you look forward to it, that's the thing you're going to do. And that's the thing you should invest in. And I think that, um, you know, people sort of embark on these quests and they set a huge goal or they have a grand idea of, 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 you know, what they want to do or accomplish. Let's say it's a new year's, you know, resolution type thing. Uh, and they go like full bore into it and they burn out Mm -hmm. and it's all about like the big workout or, you know, whatever they post on Instagram. And the truth of the matter is that, you know, you you build that house brick by brick, and it's about consistency. Consistency is way more important than anything else. It's like getting up and doing something every single day, like writing. You know, it's like showing up. Yeah, it's like it's not about the massive writing session that you had this breakthrough and wrote eight pages. It's about just showing up no matter what and mm-hmm. and weathering through that. Mm-hmm. And I think that to the extent that you can just you know set yourself up for success by creating, um, you know, sort of oriented your, orienting your environment and your external circumstances to be conducive to showing up every day. That's how you move mountains, mm. right? It's anonymously with the, you know, just chipping away at stuff every single day over a long period of time. And it started with sitting so, up in bed. Just yeah. Sit starts, up. It does. Yeah, it, sit does up. it does start with that. And I think also, you know, because we're human and we're talking about what it means to be human, you're going to mess up. You're going to miss a day or you're going to feel lousy one day and that impulse is going to arise to just say, oh, I can't do this. Mm. You know? And again, it's about rooting yourself back into the now and go, okay, well, what, what can I do tomorrow or right now to shift that energy? You know, mood follows action. How can I get into that mindset? And hmm. it doesn't mean – it's not sexy that way, but that's the truth. Right. You know? But none of it is sexy. It's funny when you mention the Instagram. All the growth, all like how you, how can you hack your way, you know, like right. what's the hack to like, right. you know, it, it, that stuff is all bullshit. Here's my least favorite uh, comedian. Um, we're talking. And then when I leave, I go, all right, I'm going to go to this coffee shop. I, I'm going to do some writing. 
Yeah. Like, get the fuck out of my face. Never say that. Uh You should be ashamed. That's how I feel when I, you know, we live in L.A., my coffee shop. There's always people with final draft open. I'm like, aren't you embarrassed? You should be. Maybe these are genius. I'm not saying they're not. But I'm like, that's something you do in private. I feel like you should do that alone in a room. It's like Jesus said about praying. Close the door. Don't let anyone see you writing your script. I'm embarrassed for, for you. But there's something about, like, Rocky. I know it's a movie. But that's so appealing that he's just getting up and doing it. You know Mm. what I mean? Like, it's not – if you think about the person that's embodying these principles, it's not the guy that's taking all the selfies in the gym. It's the guy that's just fucking doing it and owning that it's not sexy. It's not the Mark Wahlberg montage that you wanted it to be. Mm -mm. There isn't fun music. It sucks. Writing sucks. Working out sucks. You do both. A lot of your life sucks. <laughs> yeah. But you be, but you do it. Right. So <laughs> so take your take yourself as an example. Like you have this show that's going to be airing pretty soon. Yes. Like, like if you break down how you got to that place, I'm sure that and, and you made a documentary about it. Right. It, it probably wouldn't be the most dynamic documentary. There'd right. be fun, you know, scenes with Judd or whatever, but most of it is you in a chair. Right. Pulling your hair out. Talking to myself. <laughs> That's why whenever, you know. like, writers, I'm like, yeah, it's it's insane. Like, whenever you see a crazy person on the street and they're having this dialogue with themselves and they're just like, and that's when I said, shut, shut up, you Wendy. And then she, and, and you're like, well, that person's insane. That's what writers are doing. Mm-hmm. We're like, but Wendy's in a bar and it's day. <laughs> <laughs> we widen a reveal that Wendy's been drinking or whatever it is. Uh-huh. You know what it is? Like there is a level of insanity and solitude and weirdness to it. And it's not very sexy. Mm-hmm. I've watched Hollywood you know, struggle to make writing sexy. You can put Brian Cranston as Trumbo in a bathtub. It's still boring as hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, not that exciting. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, we – again, it goes back to – kind of this culture that we live in where we want what we want we want it now we want it conveniently we don't want to have to be uncomfortable or to suffer and you know the premise is that we should all be living lives of of luxury and security and comfort and the truth is is that for me i've never found happiness in that i find happiness in the struggle and in the journey and in the suffering Mm. Um, that's where i connect most deeply with who i am and what's important to me and the crazy thing about you know, ultra endurance sports, you know, the things that I do, they're so difficult. They just strip you down to the very core of who you are and you can't hide from yourself. And you, you're, it, it gives you like this beautiful template to really connect with yourself, mm. you know, in a, in a really profound way. And that's, you know, for me, like I got into those sports for that. It wasn't like I want to see how fast I can go. It's like I, I wanted to develop a different kind of relationship with myself. Hmm. And I think writing provides that as well. I think any creative outlet, like for me, it was with these, you know, crazy endurance challenges, but that's just a metaphor for, you know, whatever it is that, you know, makes your heart beat, Hmm. I think. That's amazing. And when you are stripped down in the middle of, how long is an ultra marathon? I've done a couple crazy, the race that I specialize in is called Ultraman. It's a three-day double Ironman distance triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. I love it. In the middle of it. It is ridiculous. No, I love it. Everything is. Everything is. When you're doing it, do you get – you're talking about observing your thinking mind. I have to think that in the middle, in the dawn with the sunlight on your shoulders and you're there and you're alone and you're just – you're suffering. You're doing all the things that human beings resist but we 
we uh, need. You're, you're mm-hmm. suffering and you're triumphing. There's a great narrative. I, I, you're alive. You're you, know, alive. you feel alive. And it's not, <laughs> it's not the race. The race is just an expression of all the work it took to get to that place. Like when your show premieres, that's a celebration of everything that you, you know, sort of weathered through uh, and endeavored to like make that day happen, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, like the training was so rigorous and brutal. I mean, you know, sleep deprivation and exhaustion and dehydration and hallucinations and I had like an outer body experience I was like just going to ask if you had crazy, out of body experience I did have one outer bo- out of body experience I talk about it in my book when um, you were running it was it was actually on the, at the end of a very long like a like a 9 10 hour uh, cycling training day oh my yeah. god but um, Wait, what happened I'm sorry you have to oh, give me a little bit I just like <laughs> left my body like I literally here's what happened <laughs> For what it's worth, I couldn't I be more you, interested. Is, I don't know if this is interesting at all. To me, it's the most so, interesting thing. Well, let me let me put it in context first. So, Ultraman, is, the first day of this crazy Ultraman race, you swim six point two miles, and then you ride your bike ninety miles, and then you go to bed, and you wake up the next day, and you race your bike one hundred and seventy one miles, and then the third day, you celebrate all this lunacy by running fifty two point four miles. <laughs> And you go all the way around the Big Island of Hawaii. Uh, you circumnavigate the entire Big Island of Hawaii, which is a big fucking island. So in preparation for this race, I would have to put in huge days, you know, like like all day. Like it became a job preparing for this, like yeah. 25, 30 hours a week. And, on this, and, and meanwhile, like I'm going broke because I'm training all the time and I'm not practicing law, but I'm a father and I'm having to provide and I'm having like – it was a very difficult time. Mm. And – and uh, I headed out on this ride. I was going to ride all the way up, like through oh, from where I live, up through Ojai and like around the mountains up there, and then back. And I got um, I got up to Ojai, and I didn't bring that much food with me or nutrition. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I gotta I gotta stop and get something to eat. And lucky you were in Ojai. And and <laughs> and uh, and I realized like I didn't bring any money with me. And I was overdrawn on my bank account. Like I had no money. And here I was like really far from home, starving. And I had like oh 60 God. miles to get back to my house. And, and I was starting to like see stars. And I ended up going behind this like – I was too ashamed to – I was like <laughs> talk about like self-loathing. Like I was like, what are you doing with your life? Like you irresponsible. You're a crazy per Like – what, what kind of idiot, you know, gets themselves into this kind of predicament? And I couldn't go into any place and just ask them if they would give me some food. Like, I was too ashamed. So I went – there was, like, a burger stand on this country road, and I went behind, and I, and I dumpster dove and, like, ate, like, a half-eaten cheeseburger. Even though I was, like, vegan, I was, like, I needed wow, food. Like yeah, I sure. ate And I just ate out of the garbage to get home. And as I was – so that was – terrible and and then as i'm like getting close back to home and it's dark out and it's cold i just i like left my body like i felt like i I was like observing myself riding my bike below me like it was the oh you're floating above yeah yeah i had that a straight up cliche not cliche i know it is a cliche it is it is it's it's a really it's never happened to me did you see uh, anything connecting you guys didn't i should have looked close more closely you hear that though i just interviewed this guy dean carnazes for my podcast he's an ultra mar- he's a very successful ultra marathon runner and he uh he just ran the spartathlon which which 
um, tracks the course that Pheidippides ran from Athens to Sparta. Mm-hmm. It's 153 miles, and he said he he had a very similar experience where he like, really? left his butt. Yeah, like he was peering down on himself. Well, I think there's something going on here. I just wrote down Buddha aesthetic. Aesthetic? Aesthetic? The people that didn't eat, Uh, like... Aesthetic. Aesthetic. Thank you. Uh, One of the things that I don't eat is correct vocabulary. (laughs) Um, He becomes an aesthetic. And there's something about beating your body into... Like, you're talking about you wake up in the morning and your brain says, I don't want to. And we all know that feeling. Your brain goes... uh, I always quote Johnny Pemberton when he said... This house is the right temperature. It's safe. You know, it's secure. There's walls. We know the entrances and exits. We know where food is. We know where information is. We know where water is. We know where a bathroom is. Stay here. And you're saying no because you're acting from your higher Mm -hmm. consciousness. You're saying I see you and you parent yourself from your soul level. You go, I hear all your concerns. You have to negotiate with it. I hear you and I promise if you do this for me, I'll do this for you or whatever. We'll come back and we'll watch some TV or whatever it might be. So it doesn't come as a surprise then that when you're in the middle of one of these things and you're really squishing down what your body can handle, that your spirit might pop pop out. Yeah. I mean, I think that's as good as explanation as any. I mean, I think I would alter that that kind of analogy that you drew. I think the more common thing is to sit in your house and say, I have these walls around me and it's temperature controlled and I have the internet and all of this. Uh, so why am I not happy? Or, mm. you know, what? why am I feeling this sense of malaise or dissatisfaction with my life? Well, it must be because I need a bigger house. Like mm. if I get the bigger house, then that will cure that problem. Mm. Where I'm saying that the answer to what ails you finds in, is found in stepping outside of that comfort zone and, and challenging yourself. But you're to, manufacturing – oh, sorry. Yeah, to just – to get out to, – to have the courage to challenge yourself in some way. So maybe that means you know, going up on stage and, 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 and trying out stand-up. Or right. you know, for me, it, it meant what it meant, but everybody has their version of that. Like what is it that's, that really scares you? What's that thing that you wanted to do when you were a kid? But now that you're an adult, it's like – Oh, well, you know, adults don't do that. Maybe Mm. you should pay attention to that. And that doesn't mean that you're going to up and quit your job. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying how can you put a little bit of wind into that sail and and get to a place where you can cultivate that a little bit Mm. and find a way to express that in your life. And maybe that's the thread that you need to be pulling on. Mm. I love that. And what I was about to yelp out in the middle, which is what you were saying already – you're manufacturing suffering. When you talk about running or doing an Ultraman as a metaphor for life, it really is all the ingredients of life in this one little thing. And one of the things that I think we're uncovering together is that suffering, whether it be from failing at stand-up for 10 years or whatever it might be, 20 years, uh, or training. <laughs> I like what you did with your eyes when you said that. What? You just went. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there should be a TV you got show. all wide-eyed. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying some people fail for way longer than 10 years. You can, you can fail at stand-up your entire life. But there's something going on in the human story that craves suffering. That's mm-hmm. one of the strange things, necessary 
suffering. Like you're talking about pain being the thing that motivated you, that took you from where you were to where you wanted to go. And then we see when we zoom out on any great life story or even our own story, we go like, oh, it was the moments of pain and suffering that really brought the taste of that dumpster diving cheeseburger to life. You know what I of mean? Of course. I mean, well, we know that, but we won't do it. We, I know. You manufacture suffering. Because it's scary. Suffering. We're frightened. And comedians absolutely manufacture suffering. You're absolutely right. And artists and, and writers. And we, we, we uh, dive into the cave of embarrassment and ridicule mm-hmm. knowing – that that's where some sort of weird juice is. What a, what a strange place for... It's the courage to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, and, and vulnerability is not something that we're encouraged to be, especially as men, you know. It's a frightening place to bury yourself and show the world or show yourself who you are, mm. you know. But that's where the beauty takes place. Mm. Yeah. Don't you think? I absolutely do. And that feeling of like, what if I show them who I am and nobody likes it? Right. And they're like, oh, I hate that. And you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) But the suffering, I I think it's interesting that you're chasing the right kind of suffering. I I don't know uh, workout terms. Well, it's not not that I'm I'm chasing suffering. I think I was, I was, you know, what happened for me was that by changing my diet and my lifestyle, I, I suddenly had this like new lease on life. Like I was like, wow, like in a period of a few months, I went from chubby to like feeling good and the weight's coming off and I'm enjoying exercise and I'm able to enjoy my kids at their energy level. Like that's miraculous. And it didn't take very long. I made some decisions that I stuck to and things radically shifted in my life. So that made me start thinking about like, well, what else am I not looking at? Like, what are the other dormant areas of my life that might be improved by me stepping outside my comfort zone and exploring them? And I became obsessed with the resilience of the human, the resiliency of the human body, and the spirit, and the soul, and the mind. Um, that you know, I'd abuse myself with drugs and alcohol and the window diet and like stress and you know being unhappy in my job, like all these things. And in a matter of a few months, I'd shifted all of that. So what are the outer limits of that capability? Like I wanted to explore that for myself. And I think that what I experienced by kind of stepping, you know, being able to step into that and, and being willing to like push the outer edges of that envelope is to discover, I mean, when I decided to do this crazy Ultraman race, I'd never done an Ironman. I'd never ran a marathon. Like, I hadn't done anything. Like, it made really? no logical sense. It's not like I had some pedigree or resume. Like, I just was like, I'm doing this thing. You what? Know? So. You hadn't done a regular marathon? No, I tried one half Ironman and I DNF'd. Like, I didn't finish. Like, so. It's not like I'm some crazy genetic freak. Like, you know, I just thought this is the ultimate template for me to really explore, like, what I'm capable of. And, and I was interested in that. So, so <laughs> the thing is, what I discovered is that for myself, and I think for everybody, is that we're all sitting on top of untapped reservoirs of human potential mm. that are just sitting there, right, dormant. And if we can make a decision to explore that and embrace that, I think all of us will be uh, just completely um, surprised mm-hmm. with what we can actually do. You know, I think I think that it's just easy to just go along to get along, right? And if you can break the paradigm and like step outside the matrix and 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 really. 
you know, you talked about Ram Das. I think all of this requires some some deep inside work. Like you have to really connect with who you are, right? If you're willing to invest in yourself and really explore what it is that makes you tick and what's important to you, and then have the courage to begin to express that, I think that's where miracles happen. But mm. it is an inside thing, you know, and it's not easy. It is a warrior's path. It's it may be the hardest thing that you ever do, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that you're going to succeed or that. You're going to get a single Facebook like. Like people don't like it when you step outside what everyone else is doing. A lot of people are threatened by that. So it's not like a popularity contest and it's not something that you should do to be liked or to be approved of. But I think what you're doing is investing in yourself. And with that comes uh, a sense of empowerment and self-esteem that will lead you to the next thing and, and having faith that 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 journey will open up doors and create opportunities for you mm. and learning to like have the acuity to pay attention to that. That's what it's all about for me. Mm. You know, so interesting. I, and everybody listening, I'm sure is like, that makes so much sense. And what I love that we're also addressing, I think we're doing a decent job addressing is you keep saying action follows mood and, and these things. Cause mood follows action. Mood follows action. I fucked it up. <laughs> mood follows action. The idea of how do we cultivate wonder – because what you're saying is – I always think about like a space traveler. Let's say an alien just took over my body and was like, and you're in this world and this world isn't like their world. They would go around and be like, there, there are people that run. There are people that eat noodles over here and that run around and then lick and touch and taste and, and feel and absorb everything and want everything. And we all know that we live in these types of worlds. We can watch planet Earth. We can do it all from our, our couch now. Mm-hmm. But really getting it to materialize into something real is pretty exceptional. And I think you're right. I, I don't think it'll make you popular. That, that's the Uncle Ron thing. It's like, you think you're better than me? Yeah. But we know there's a potential for a really great, exciting, vibrant, real life here. And it's, it's great to hear you talk about what got you there. Yeah, man. I love that. It's been a cool journey. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's not – like, again, it's not about, like, results. It's about – you know, when I look back on it, it's the, the, the moments that mean the most to me are the struggles and the hardships. And I think that's common and consistent if you were to canvas and interview a whole bunch of successful people and ask them, you know, what do you what's, – what's the most meaningful aspect yeah. of, uh, you know, of your journey – they're all, you know, the entrepreneur is going to tell you about eating Chinese food in the garage before it was anything and you right, know, all that kind of right. stuff. And it's, it's true. It's not about the destination or well, the success. And as trite, you know, as it sounds, it, it, it is about like grappling with and having the courage to wrestle with the hardships that, that got you there that, that line your life with, with meaning. Right. And falling in love with those things, eating yeah. the Chinese food in the yeah, garage. Yeah, welcoming it. Welcoming Embracing it. Embracing it, not trying to avoid it. But it's – Rob and I have been talking about this lately too. It's something that I've been talking about on the podcast. It's like where are you going? It's this idea of oh, when I get there. Like so the comedian the, – the comedian equivalent of what you're saying is the guys that start to, to be famous. Mm-hmm. Guys are like, I want to be famous. And it's like, see ya. Like it's just right. not it, – some, some people it might happen for. I don't know. But for the most part, the community is just like we don't acknowledge you as, as our people because we know – and every comedian that gets to a certain level of comfort, uh, which I have, you look back at all the all the shitty times and you're like, that show in the lobby that was where I'm performing in front right. of the elevator bank, 
and people would come out mid-show and leave. <laughs> right. Like, when you're on your deathbed, that's what you're going to be thinking about. Isn't that nuts? But this is what, like, I think of the Lord of the Rings. They, we, we talk about it's leaving the Shire. You know, it's the hero's journey. It's you leave the Shire, and it's the times that you're in Gollum's cave answering riddles. or you're, mm-hmm. That's the Hobbit. But, or you're fighting the dragon. All these crazy th- – that's also the Hobbit. But these things – the things that you wouldn't have asked for, that you, that everything in your brain was telling you to avoid, ends up being where the juice is. Of course. And the, and there really is something metaphorical about the the athlete that says, "I'm going to I'm going to get myself up for what the the Ultraman thing is made up. We made it up. Everything is made up, but right. we made it up because this is how human beings find meaning. We, exactly. We, we we found a place for you to pour that intention. And the fear of confronting whatever it is that you've created this blind spot around is never as bad as the actual confrontation itself. Mm. Right? There's relief in the confrontation. <laughs> That's great. You know what I mean? Like how much energy do you put into not looking at that thing about what you do that you really should look at. Mm. And you create all this anxiety and all these defense mechanisms around it. But in your deepest consciousness, you know, like, yeah, that's the thing I really need to stop doing or that I should be doing that I'm not doing. But once you actually have the courage to look at it mm-hmm. and, 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 and move through it, you're like, why was I so yes. wrapped up about that? That's a Ram Dass you know? thing. He goes, you've done the thing that you thought if it happened, you wouldn't be able to live. And here you are on the other side mm-hmm. of it. And it's never – it's not as bad as you thought it would be. No. It, it never is. It never is. Your brain you know? is so good. And that's not to say that I've, that I've done that successfully in every aspect of my life. That journey continues forever, right? Yeah. Like how deep do you want to go? Yeah. I have plenty of things that I need but to look at. But don't you see? That's it. I can't – you've just hit on something that I'm so passionate about. It's when people say like, sorry, I'm not a good reader. Work on that. Mm-hmm. Work on that. What are you stopping for? You – that's why I, I think people love your story about being 39. You know, if you were 29, different story. 39, interesting, compelling. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he could have just been like, well – I'm a slob. It's what it is. It's what it is. I Next guess. time around. Yeah, na- exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't stand it when people are just like, uh, oh, I'm an anxious, I'm anxious when I talk to cats or whatever right. it is. It's like, let's work on that. Let's, let's really dig and see it as this opportunity for renewal and, and, and rebirth. And I, I can't get enough of that in my life. Examples of going like, I'm 37. Well, maybe I'm going to be for like reader is a good one for me. I like listening to books more than I read them. Fuck it. I'm going to try and get better at reading. There's got to be ways. That's your, but the thing is like, you're yes, but you're up for that challenge. A lot of people aren't, you know, like you're naturally curious, you're inquisitive and you're seeking out these opportunities to continue to grow. Most people are not in that place. Right. Yeah. But then they end up creating, you know, a prison of their own design. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm hoping people hear this and go, Mm. oh shit, there's no need. Don't, don't throw in the. What is the expression? Towel. The baby with the bathwater. Don't throw the Don't towel throw on the, the baby. <laughs> baby. Don't hit a baby with a towel. I think that's what. Well, Thoreau said it best. He said, uh, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And what is considered resignation is confirmed desperation. I think no. it goes something like that. Oh, that's, you're the only person I knew that knew the second part. Yeah. <laughs> the second part is important. It's fucking profound. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's. Say it again. I think it's. More, I think I can. Can I do it? Yeah. Uh, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is considered resignation is confirmed desperation. Wow. And imagine 
you know, what was it? 1850? I don't know the date. It was yeah. something, sometime around that time. And it sounds um, like he's talking about I now. think it's, yeah, I think it's more, <laughs> more apt now. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of people suffering in, 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 and they're in lives or professional careers that they don't even feel like uh, they consciously chose. Um, and, and, you know, I know what that's like. I lived that life for a long time. Um, and, uh, and so I'm very empathetic to that condition. Um, and I struggled mightily to step outside of that. But I think that that is the great epidemic of our age. Mm. You know, how many people are sitting in cubicles uh, you know, with jobs that do nothing for them in relationships that, you know, are not moving them forward. And it's just easier to stay. But it's funny, you said we did not consciously choose. And that, to me, is the emboldened life. Is, is The more things you can say, this is deliberate, this is empowered. You know what I mean? It, it, Rob teaches spiral dynamics and uh, purple is the world happens to me and red is I happen right. to the world. It's like the next one. And it, I love pointing out, I think he makes the point that all hip hop is purple to red. It's like, I used to be this way, but now I, my heli- I have a helicopter for my dog. You know what I mean? It's just like right. these amazing, I, I affect the world. Breaking Bad is purple to red. Bre- Breaking Bad starts. Oh, he's that's ca- so interesting. He's khaki and he got sick and everything's fucked up. And he's like, fuck that. I'm cooking meth. That's red. He actually starts wearing a lot of purple type reds, mm-hmm. but like even his palette, his colors change as this transformation. So c- having as many areas of your life being conscious choices, including your food and your relationship and your work, it- it's daunting, but like taking them on one at a time and, and, in, and certainly in your case, your physical regimen or whatever it might be. But it does go back to veganism. It's like you inherited this idea of success. You inherited this idea of what a relationship should be, what love should be, and also eat this. None of it your choice. None of it your construct. Not, it's just someone else's life. Mm-hmm. You're living for someone else's dream, the CEO of your fucking company. You're eating someone else's food, the CEO of another company. And you're in some fucking bad relationship with Diane. And Diane's right. a pain in the ass and she sucks. And Poor you know Diane. she hates you too. Like everybody hates each other, but we're like, we kind of look like a couple and we, we have similar fucking movie taste or whatever, you know. And, it, and it's, 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 it's threatening and, and difficult. But waking up and being deliberate about any of those things is the challenge of being alive, right? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's about realizing that you have agency. Agency! We don't believe that we have agency over our lives. That's, that's, that's what it is to be purple, right? Yeah. Purple is when it's happening to you. Right, yeah, that's right. right. So, yeah, I don't have agency over my life. My life happens to me. It's a sense of powerlessness. And it's about stepping into a place and acknowledging that you do indeed have agency and switching from purple to red. And unlike Breaking Bad or, you know, a hip-hop star – it's not about some kind of crazy, you know, sort of overnight success, traumatic thing. It's like, you know what? Instead of bacon, I'm going to have a green smoothie for breakfast. Like it starts with that. You know, right. uh, I'm going to meditate this morning. I've never tried that before. I'm going to go for a walk at lunchtime instead of going to the restaurant with everyone else. It's about these tiny little things right. that you do and creating momentum around them. That's what is going to change your life. Yeah. That's agency too. Yeah. But it's lunchtime. Says right. this is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'm choosing this. That's to me the thing is I've gone back to sleep because I'm like, I haven't slept eight hours. And my brain goes, but we're ready to get up. And I go, well, and I go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, where did I get that? Shouldn't I listen to my intuitive mind and get up? You know what I mean? 
You should. Of course. Yes. That's ah, so fun. Well, we always uh, – oh, I do want to get to this point because it's going to drive me crazy if I don't say it. Because I, I loved it. In that movie, it's, it's our, our final vegan thing. Um, although I think we've talked about it well. Is the idea that when your kids go, because Val and I are like, first of all, Val's not even a, a vegan. Um, she's not. He, she's not even a vegan. But uh-huh. she, I just mean she's a vegetarian for the most part, and um, or a pescatarian. And then like we're like, well, what do we do with our kids? And I'm like, okay, well, we have other examples in our lives of, of vegans that raise their kids, and we don't want to be militant, and we don't want to be that way like I, mm-hmm. I had a friend that was like this is my daughter she's a from birth vegan and right. i'm just like right, right, right. Ha, 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 okay it, it feels gross to me for some reason you told a story about your kids going to a birthday party and while when you feed them foods you you say it so yeah we have four kids and their ages you know all the way from 21 down to nine so all ages and and they've all had their own uh sort of um, adventure with food, and every one of them is different. And we never made any kind of proclamation like "you have to be vegan," you know, or "this is how we're raising you," and this is the ideology that you must adopt. Uh, instead, we just started propagating our kitchen and our cabinets with healthy food. That's it, you know. And my wife, God bless her, is an amazing cook, which made all of this a lot easier because everything she makes is delightful and delicious and the kids like her food so it never really came up as something that we talked about but i think kind of the overarching philosophy was not to be dogmatic about anything but just to use every opportunity we could to have food be a vehicle for uh like education in a homeschooling context right so when we go to the market the farmer's market or the grocery store we bring the kids the little kids and they walk the aisles and we talk about this is why we're getting this or this is what this food does and when they say can we get this and we say well we're not going to get that and then we can have a conversation about why and so that was it, you know. That and then we bring the food home, and they help put it away. And we've included them in all of the recipe prep and the meal prep, so they're very engaged in the food aspect of our lives. And so I think what happens is when you have young children who actually know how to make certain recipes and they know what certain foods do and how to use them in certain dishes, there's a sense of emotional attachment that occurs. They become invested in it. And right. so if you and give them agency. the opportunity, yeah, they have agency. So when you say, hey, what, you know, little Jaya, what would you like to have? What would, can you make something for dinner? And she'll be like, I want to make chia seed pudding because that's what she knows how to make. And mm. it's actually delicious and it's nutritious. Mm. And so with that becomes a, a, a sort of, they become more and more steeped in this. Get now, out of here. This is so the now, best thing I've ever heard. So now <laughs> if Jaya, who's sweet as pie, goes to a birthday party and they have cupcakes and pizza and whatever they have, uh, we don't say you can't have any of those foods. We eat whatever you want. Like, you know how we eat at home, but it's up to you. Um, and she's not always going to make the right choice. And then on the ride home, if she has a stomach ache, we can say, well, what did you eat? And maybe we can think about that. Why do you think that you have a stomach ache? But there's no judgment. Mm. There's, no, it's, there's no shaming or anything like that. It's just all out in the open. And mm. that way, she feels like she has agency because we're not telling her what she can and can't do. And I think as children get older and blossom into teenagers, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to rebel against their parents. Right. And so I don't want 
food to be the catalyst for that rebellion. Right. And so we deflate it from any of that pressure. So there's nothing to re- – it's like, oh, you want to do that? Knock yourself out. You right. know, I'm, I'm less interested in what you have at your friend's house or at a birthday party than I am in instilling habits and information in you that are going to serve you long-term throughout mm. the rest of your life, mm. right? Yes. And so by not being – by and, and, you know, like we serve Brussels sprouts and, and you know, maybe Jai is like, I don't like Brussels sprouts. I'm like, okay, I hear you. Then, the, and then a week later, Brussels sprouts again. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I know. I heard you. And then eventually, then <laughs> the third or the fourth or the fifth or the 20th time, yeah. she's eating Brussels sprouts and yeah. she likes it. But we didn't, we didn't like create any kind of emotional drama around it. There's no like, so, you have to eat your Brussels no, sprouts. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And kids aren't going to starve. You know, it's like everyone's like, well, I have to give them, you know, Pringles and cheetos and all those kinds of things because they won't eat anything else well it's right. like well if you just have healthy food eventually they're not going to starve eventually they're going <laughs> to eat the healthy thing you know and it's tough i mean when you look at school lunch it's just a horrific nightmare you yeah know, what most kids are eating at lunch and so when you send your kids off to a school and all they're going to eat is you know cheeseburgers and cheese pizza and hot dogs and that kind of stuff it makes it more difficult um, what but do you I do? think that well, I mean, our kids go to a school where they have they go to this school called Muse where they have a plant based lunch, just like okay. this crazy awesome place. But obviously, not everybody has that luxury. Um, I think it just requires a little bit more uh, parental involvement and investment. Mm. You know, maybe you have to pack a lunch for your kid, where or you can't just like sort of divest yourself and say they're going to eat what they're going to eat. Um, I don't know. I don't have the magic bullet answer to that. I think it's difficult, and I think we really need to. The answer um, is the magic bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we need to change. Well, we need to change the system around school. It's just it's, it's crazy. No, what I know. We're feeding kids. I think we're going to look back on this time like a Mad Men time where everyone's smoking yeah. and drinking, and we're like, "What the fuck were we eating?" Like it's going to be a nuts. Yeah, I mean, talking about the alien. Like if an alien came down and said, "Show me, take me to your leader and show me how you feed everybody." Yeah, and and and. And the leader broke down, like, what we're actually doing. He'd yeah. be like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Super insane. There's better ways of doing this. Yeah. And it's you like know. K-Pax. He only eats, did you see K-Pax? It's not a very I good movie. I did with Kevin Spacey. But yeah, like a million years eats, ago. He only eats fruit. That was oh, like does? one of the he early. He was a fruitarian. He was a fruitarian. <laughs> and I was like, that kind of makes sense. He's just like, this is like, he doesn't preach about it. But he's uh-huh. like, ah, the produce. I love your produce. Yeah. Like he wanted to eat the stuff that our planet grew. That's funny. A subversive vegan message. There was a subversive vegan message. <laughs> <laughs> and selfishly, I was wondering if you could tell me. Anything about alcohol? You're off off the stuff, uh-huh. and you're a healthy person. I I feel like so many people are are hesitant to say bad things about alcohol. There are a lot of books will just be like, "Go ahead and have your red wine," or like, "It's okay to have a scotch every once in a while. It'll thin your blood." You know, mm. I feel like there's a lot of like alcohol uh, financed pro alcohol healthy lifestyle stuff. But there's almost part of me as someone who's always kind of like, "How do I drink less?" Could you tell me some of the things you hold in your brain about alcohol? Well, all I can tell you is that the idea – like all I can do is share my own experience. And I tried to drink less and that didn't work out for me. (laughs) (laughs) I tried every conceivable way. Of trying to enjoy my drinking like a gentleman. Yeah. That just didn't play. No, it did not play out well. Uh, Look, you know, first of all, you go online and you like research nutrition and you can find some article or some study that supports whatever point of view that makes you feel comfortable. 
Uh, so that becomes tricky. Right? It does, yeah. And so all I could tell you is that if if your enjoyment of alcohol like is interfering with how you feel and your well-being and your goals, then it's something to look at. Right. If it's not, then knock yourself out. Yeah. To the extent that you want to drink less, I don't know what to tell you other than to just drink less. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For me, as an alcoholic, I'm incapable of like moderate drinking. Yeah. So I don't have any experience with what to tell you on that. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. Well, we always, uh, thank you. We always end the show talking about God a little bit. And you've hinted at, at a life philosophy. So I, I, I kind of have, I feel like we've been talking about God in, in a small way, or at least the spirit this whole time. Where are you now? What, what is your feelings on the meaning of life and life after death and purpose and... I don't have a I don't have a dogmatic perspective on God. I would say that I'm not a religious person, but I'm a deeply spiritual person. Uh, I believe we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm-hmm. My wife, who's much more expanded than me, says that she is a multi-dimensional being having a simultaneous experience. <laughs> so I think that's the graduate degree version of you – know. Meaning she's aware of all the different she's, hers. And- oh, she's into like all the dimensions and off-planet energies and she goes super – she's a – Really? She's into like all kinds of wild stuff. Like she reads everything. Yeah, like she's out there. Well. But I've learned a lot from her and I, I would say that – I don't have a well-honed, defined, uh, sort of pithy sentence that I could give you about yeah. what my um, perception of God and and spirituality is, other than to say that that I have a certain sense of humility that we're not capable of really understanding everything that's going on around us. And when you look at, you know, for example what happens with particle physics when you get down to subatomic particles and you understand that, you know, we believe like our, our egos as human beings, we tend to believe that we are capable of understanding everything, but we're very limited in what we're able to perceive. We have eyes and we have ears and we have a sense of taste and touch, but that's it. I think there's a lot more going on when you look Talking at about like ultraviolet rays. Yeah, it's like, or the, you know, what is dark matter? Like, you know, to the extent that I think most physicists, think it's black marbles. Yeah, like, like the physicists have established that there are other dimensions. So what does that 13. mean? Thirteen. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not able of perceiving those, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. Right. And so when you extrapolate out from that, I think there's a lot of room for wonder. And all I can tell you is that when I, uh, like I said earlier, invest in service and have faith that my life will be guided when my ego is in check and I'm taking care of myself and others. My experience has, has been that my life expands in amazing ways. And I've seen this happen with many, many other people in my life. And so what I intuit from that is that there is you know, a spiritual energy and there is uh, a universal force that exists and it's our job as human beings to align ourselves with that. And that is the inside work of finding out who you are and what you're here to express. Um, and in so doing, uh, our job here is to, is to grow, to progress towards enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's what we're here to do. And whether that begets the idea of reincarnation or 
you know, other dimensions and simultaneous experiences. That's beyond my perceptive abilities to understand or analyze. But I just think that there's a lot more going on. Mm. I love that you said align with too. That that to me is a is a as you said earlier a mature or a matured. Uh, it sounds like it's immature if you don't believe this. But what I mean for me, I arrived at the idea of God being something that you flow with. Uh, uh, something you align with as opposed to please, like if you're God and I don't want to upset Do this for rich. Yeah. yeah, I want rich to be happy so he'll get me parking spots, job promotions, and sex. You know what I mean? Like I hope he, he's looking out for me as opposed to something energetically that's happening that you're saying when I'm in that space, in that almost location of service and openness and, as you said, minimizing your ego, which to me is the devil. It's the the thief and the liar. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he loves advertisements so much. He's like, that's what I'm talking about. Southern comfort will get us slayed. You know what I mean? So pushing that down. No, and that's it. actually true sometimes. Southern comfort will get you late. Yeah. That, is, that can be true. <laughs> no, he, you know, broken clock. He's right sometimes. <laughs> but I, I like that idea that, it, that it's um, an energy exchange and it's a way of, I feel like a lot of your life is about flow and, and, and getting on that path and all of these things. I, I just picture you doing these epic runs and that I have dreams. I, I've never been interested in running, but I have dreams where I'm running and that freedom and that feel is my brain making a metaphor for me going like, look, this is what it's like when the, there's an open lane in front of you. And doesn't mm-hmm. it feel good? To, and you do that in the physical world, but there's a way that we do that spiritually where we're like, this is right. This feels right. And those little affirmations of serendipities or, or I don't like the word blessings, but blessings, these things that come your way are little clues that we're on the right path for us mm, that's beautifully put <laughs> like you that. said it <laughs> cool let's do the speed round you're the best all right this is so fun everything you said should have been written down i <laughs> i hope it's in your book somewhere uh i don't know well so much it, of a, somebody could transcribe this yeah you could send it to rev.com that's what i use <laughs> um let's let me go over this alcohol buddha aesthetic lawyer drugs mm-hmm, health I just wrote down health. That's great. Green light. Well, I, I guess for the speed round, I, I would say I'd love to ask you one of the greatest things or most helpful things you've learned about writing, the process of writing, which we didn't cover too much. Mm. And maybe we did. Maybe it's that showing up thing. But, you know, as somebody who's completed more than one book, I mean, uh, what what is that? What is something you could impart on people who are trying to write trying to write mm. uh i don't i don't think it's any anything we haven't already covered i mean you just you have to show up for it you know and you have to i think you have to carve out um sacred time for that where you're not going to allow anything else to interfere with mm. it and create a boundary around that mm. and hold it as your protective thing you know and honor that um but again it's not it, 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 i don't have any kind of um, hack. I think it's just it's it's making the commitment to yourself and showing up for it. I love and, that. and honoring that. And I think that that one of the things that's been helpful to me in unlocking creativity and something that I think has helped my writing is two things. One is um, the Artist Way by Julia Cameron, uh, which is an amazing program. You could buy this book. It puts you through this like program. That's, doing it right. Yeah, designing to unlock your creativity. And one of the core sort of daily tools is morning pages which is essentially like a free form three page you know 
stream of consciousness writing that helps you get past whatever the clutter is in your mind to get at you know what it is that you're really trying to express and mm. that's something that i continue to do i go in phases like i haven't been doing it lately but i always go back to it when i feel stuck and the other thing is um the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. So if anybody who's interested in writing or being more expressive creatively, that book, which is a really short book, is fantastic. And it talks all about like the muse and, and trying to overcome creative blocks. And it's very practical and easy to read and hmm. is a great, has been a great asset for me. The War of Art. Yeah, you should Good check it title. out. Great title. Mm-hmm. I love that. It talks about resistance. Like, what you know, he like that thing that's blocking you is he gives it a name. It's called resistance, and it's strategies for combating and overcoming overcoming that resistance. Resistance, yeah. You and check he said it out. the warrior's path a number of times. I love that. Yeah. The way we frame things in our minds, and there's a way of taking these things that are just kind of grueling and difficult, and calling it the warrior's path, and be like, yeah. Well, because I think also I, the reason I do that is because when you start talking about kind of woo-woo, new agey stuff, everybody thinks rainbows and unicorns, and I'm like, actually, there's a lot of dark energy out there, and if you want to get your shit together and move forward with your life, like you got to suck it up and fucking work your ass off, mm. you know, and it's not going to be easy. It's not like. The secret where, you know, the riches of the universe are going to be bestowed upon you. It doesn't work like that. So it is the warrior's path. So you got to like suit up and put your armor on and like attack it. But there's something like, again, the few and far between ways I can try to relate to your athleticism is when I would do yoga and you're obviously you're barefoot and you get your foot really planted. I would think of the street fighter character, E Honda, who's the sumo Uh and just the strength of being really rooted to the ground. But in that kind of kick ass way, you know what I mean? I was like, ah, Uh I'm like a statue right now, as opposed to being like fucking yoga. Uh You know what I mean? Like that image meant something to me. Yeah. I get that. that. Eh, You know, I'm trying the two (laughs) exercises I've done in my life. (coughs) Um, and what, uh, well, you've covered everything so beautifully. I'm gonna, I don't want to do that speed round. I'm just going to ask you the final question if you're good with that. Because it, it, I'm like, everything I could ask you about, you've already answered. All right. And I feel like that's a wonderful sure? thing. Well, I could uh, do any of these grab you. Greatest lesson you've learned about health, success, family, body, mind, God. We've kind of covered all that. That's what I'm I saying. I mean, that, that would be another three hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I was like, and being a dad, I'm like, well, you did it. You did it. This is why I love having podcasters. They know how to talk and they get into it right away. And the last thing we always ask, because this was so wonderful, is just, uh, can you think of a time in your life you laughed very, very hard? <sighs> I always say the same thing. It doesn't. I'm not looking for a great story. Just when yeah. I say that, where were you? How old were you? I think the last time that I laughed super hard where I lost control was uh, – <laughs> well, I have two stories. One, I mean the main one is my nine-year-old daughter, Jaya, who who does pitch-perfect accents. Like she can take on like any accent and nail it. Really? And she's just hilarious. And so <laughs> there's something about the innocence of a child and just being my daughter that's so pure and yes. beautiful that like I can just laugh like my butt off when yeah. she does that. I made the chia pudding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, she started walking around going – Daddy, daddy, uh, like a little Brit, you know, like every great. day is a different, is a different. That's accent, all I've ever so wanted was anyway. to be called father, father, father. <laughs> yeah, you should get her to do father. Anyway. That's fantastic. Yeah. You said you had two. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, this one goes way back, but I think the hardest I ever laughed in my entire life was when <laughs> my buddy 
uh, John Moffat and I, who's a college friend of mine, we were driving from like New York City down to like Virginia for a wedding. And I just moved apartments and I was broke. And I had this, the crappiest like van of all time, like just the shittiest like Econoline van possible. And this was in like the early 90s. And, uh, and it was a swelteringly hot, humid day, as you can only get on the East Coast. You yeah. know those days where it's just like hor- you don't Why even want to be outside. <laughs> and so we decided that 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 rather than there was there was no air conditioning, so we decided we were going to roll up all the windows and turn the heat on as high as possible and see how hot we could get. <laughs> like driving down like the four ninety five or whatever it is the highway, and we're just sweating. And we're just, we're like laughing hysterically. We're like, make it hotter, make it hotter. And we pulled up to like this toll booth where we had to like pay. And the look on the toll booth person's face was like, they were like, what are you doing? And and John like rolls the window down just is the tiniest amount possible and like threw the money at her, rolled the window back up and drove off. And for whatever reason, like, I just, I don't know. I always think about that. That's and I, amazing. I, I never, I don't think I've ever laughed harder in the my The hottest life. coins she's ever received. <laughs> yes. What were they yeah. doing? <laughs> so we got super hot. No, that's amazing. I don't recommend that to anybody. That's but. fantastic. I love that. Uh, Rich, thank you so much. This was incredible. Awesome, I, I'm man. so glad you took the time, and I will do your podcast. Yeah, please do. That anytime. would be great. And uh, this was super fun. Man. Yeah, man. Would I you say it. keep it crispy? It's how we end. Keep it crispy. Right away. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 